Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hi, this is Tony Cotty, and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. You are listening to the We Are West End podcast with me, Will Pugh, and my mate, James Jones. Not a great week for West Ham United. Two defeats from two at home to Liverpool in the Premier League, and then away at Crystal Palace. On the weekend, the Boo Boys are back out once again. All of a sudden, safety doesn't seem as certain as it did after the Bournemouth game. I'm still extremely confident, but the same cannot be said for all West Ham fans. Lots to talk about, and I'm delighted to be joined once again, as I always am, by my friend, colleague, business partner, an all-round good guy, James Jones. Jonesy, nice to see you again, mate. How's it going? Talk to me. Yeah, I'm good, thanks, mate. Um... A little bit like you, kind of not not panicked by the previous two results. Um, Liverpool won, albeit incredibly frustrating, wasn't massively surprising. Um, and then the Palace won, I'm not really surprised given it was our ninth game in April now. The mm. second week in the month that we played, what, three games in six days. So, um, wasn't surprised to see such a sluggish performance. Um, the fact that he even scored three goals despite not playing very well was a was a positive that I took from it. But um yeah, other than that, I'm all right, mate. Yeah, just pretty chill. Excellent, mate. Excellent. Um very disappointed to inform you that I've still got a cold that I had this time last yeah. week. Um yeah, I know the recovery was sort of on track. I was making good progress. Uh had a stag doing Cardiff at the weekend. A friend of mine getting married soon. That is normally when you have stag do's to be fair. Um, just shortly before <laughs> one of your mates get married. Um, and yeah, I just sort of put my recovery back um, a day or two, I think. But I've raised myself from uh, my sick bed to deliver a We Are West Ham podcast um, for the listeners. You know, a bit, bit of a hero complex going on, but you're welcome, everyone, is all I've got to say. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad you made, you managed to, you managed to, uh, you, you even made yourself look presentable as well, mate, which is which is good to say. 
Um, yeah, that's yeah, no, putting, that's a, putting a hoodie and a cap on, which is my yeah. trick every single time that I just get out of bed to do the podcast. Exactly that. No, incorrect, actually. I've already spoken to, the, done one of the opposition views who will talk ahead, um, talk to this week, Steve Tudor from the 93-20 Men City podcast. Looking ahead to the game at the Etihad tomorrow night. You mentioned, Jonesy, the run of games. It's pretty... Uh, intense at the moment. We go or welcome Manchester United to the London Stadium on the weekend as well. But, Jonesy, before we crack on, some absolutely huge and exciting news for myself and for the podcast, and hopefully for the We Are West Ham podcast listeners down under. We know we've got absolutely loads of people out there who tune in, but over the weekend, I have booked and secured my tickets out to Perth for the West Ham pre-season friendlies against Perth Glory and Tottenham in the summer. Really looking forward to getting out there, meeting loads of you guys who tune in from Australia. I know there's loads of you going out to the games uh, in Perth on the 15th and the 18th of July, I believe they are. I'm going to be at both games. I'll be in the area. We're hoping to put an event on in conjunction uh, with some of the West Ham fans who live out in Perth at the moment, maybe the Perth Hammer Supporters Group. Uh, I'll also be in Adelaide a few weeks later because I'm going to stay on and do some stuff for the Women's World Cup. So I'll be in Adelaide for a period of time as well. So any Australian fans listening, we know there's loads of you. We speak to loads of you already on all the different social platforms. Do get in touch because I'm looking to speak ideas, venues, things like that. I'm looking to put on uh, an event hopefully in, in Perth and then maybe one in Adelaide as well. Just want to give a Big, massive, huge, enormous thank you to Miriam Errington and her company, Miriam Errington Conveyancing, based in Adelaide. And she's been a, a listener to the podcast for a significant amount of time. And without her help, this trip would not be happening. So massive thanks to Miriam. Huge, exciting news for me and the podcast. We'll be pumping out lots of content while I'm out there. Jones, we're going to somehow try and make the, the time difference work. I want to get you involved in some stuff as well. We're going to try and speak to some former players, um, you know, West Ham and, of course, uh, loads of the fans we've got down under. So if you are in Australia, Perth, Adelaide or anywhere else or you're coming, you're flying in for the games uh, from the surrounding uh, cities and countries uh, for to see your beloved hammers over the summer. Get in touch. It's wearewestampod at gmail.com. You can get us on Twitter at we are underscore West Ham. I'm at William Pugh underscore James is at by James Jones We're on Instagram as well. Loads of you already know most of the social channels, but I really want to hear from you. So if you're down under, and especially if you're going to be in the Perth area <clears throat> for those West Ham games, then uh, yeah, give me a shout. That is hugely exciting, Jonesy. Just a little bit disappointed that you couldn't join me. Yeah, no, it's really exciting. Um, gutted that I won't be there. Obviously, logistically, it just wouldn't work for me, um, unfortunately. A long way to go for a week, isn't it? Yeah, a long way to go for a week. Um, and I'm due to work purposes, I've already done a lot of travelling this year and I'm doing more to come next week as well. So um, I didn't think it would be fair also to, to fly to the other side of the world again uh, <laughs> this, uh, this year uh, and leave... Lucy at home with Harrison, so yeah, it was a it was a it was a reluctant no from me, but um, I'm sure that you'll go over there and do the pod proud, and absolutely, I'll, I'll make sure we can make the timings work, and I'll uh, I'll see if I can jump on for one of the events 
get a big screen out, get my big my boat on a big screen, oh, God, and uh, God. people can see me. <laughs> exactly, mate. Exactly. Well, look, like I say, if you're uh, if you're down under at the moment, you like the sound of what we talk about, you listen to the pod. Um, <clears throat> we're just we're having all those conversations in the background at the moment about what the events are going to look like, uh, what we could do, where we can do them, when we can do them, uh, whether it's you know just a few pints and and some chats. Um, or it's, a, it's something a little bit bigger scale. Uh, we, we're figuring all that out at the moment. But what, I want ideas and I want declarations of interest if you're down under. And that's the sort of thing you'd fancy coming along to in between uh, two of the West Ham games or, or either side of them. Or the one in Adelaide where I'm going to be a few weeks later. Do get in touch with the pod. Jonesy, what's your... Obviously, you've sort of touched on it. Already, we've got lots to look ahead to this week and lots to look back on. Two games to review, the Liverpool one and the Palace defeat, and then City and United coming up in the league. It's not shaping up to be an absolutely outstanding couple of weeks of football, is it, that we might be in the middle of? Um, what are your general sort of senses and feelings at the moment before we move on to look back at those games in a bit more detail? Well, we'll touch on on the two games uh, in a bit. Um, I don't know whether anyone saw my, I don't know whether you or anyone actually saw my uh, outbursts on on Twitter following both games. Um, the Liverpool game, yeah, Liverpool definitely. Game and um, and I went a little bit nuts after the Palace game. Um, ended up deleting a tweet the following day because it was a little bit strong. <laughs> Um, oh, but how many? Beers uh, I can't then? even remember what I said, but I remember waking up the following morning, seeing it, and going, "Ah, oh, do you know what? I'll get rid of that." Um, yeah. So, but yeah, VAR. A, vin- a vintage galore. James Jones, that's called. I think exactly. Yeah, yeah. Not been yeah, out yeah. in a while, so I thought I'd bring that back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but looking forward, like Wednesday night against City is a bit of a, a bit of a write off in it. Um, and then Man United, they're in form. Um, they're going to want to try and finish above Newcastle in, in the Premier League. So they've still got something to play for, even though top four is all but confirmed for them. So I'm not holding out a great deal of hope for that. Although we do tend to pick it up at home to, to United. Uh, we have done pretty well against them at home over the last couple of years. Um, so, I mean, that's not as much of a write-off, but um, the, the big one's obviously next week in the, in the Conference League. And, and then obviously we've got uh, what Brentford coming up, Leeds coming up, Leicester, so we've got some bigger games coming up after these two games against the Manchester clubs. So that's where my eyes are looking at the moment. I'll kind of just mm. get this week out of the way. And then we've got actual really important fixtures, winnable fixtures, so I say, that we can we can get our teeth stuck into. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Well, look, let's um we'll move straight on. Have you got any sort of other life highlights? Last week you, you sort of said no at the beginning. Then I pressed you on it a little more. <laughs> And one of the greatest anecdotes ever to come out of the We Are West Ham podcast uh, was was prized out of you, um, mainly involving you stacking it completely the first time you've been into a, a pub of um, around the corner from your new house where you could have been a local at for the next 30 or 40 years. It turns out now, obviously, that you're never allowed to set foot in there again. If you had any further thoughts or updates on that story and anything else of the same ilk happened to you since we last spoke? Uh, well... No, it has it has genuinely been a pretty a pretty uh, relaxed week actually. Um, mm. I haven't been back to that pub. Considered it, yeah, um, the other bottled day it. and bottled <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, so you yeah, haven't been back. Uh, I haven't stacked in any other pubs. Yeah, um, which is good news. 
but yeah, no, it's been a it's been a less eventful seven days for me, to be honest. Um, next week, I'm I'm in Montreal again. Um, so yeah, which is a little bit annoying. I do without it, yeah. but yeah. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I'm um yeah, I'm, it's been it's genuinely been a boring week for me. Yeah. I don't know whether you've got anything to to entertain our listeners with, but nothing for me this week. <clears throat> well, I'll be honest, like I say, I went on a stag do, and normally they're reasonably good, aren't they, for, um, you know, a few little anecdotes and all that. Uh, but quite honestly, I say I was ill going into it, um, so it was somewhat a little bit more measured. We went and played mini golf at Gareth Bale's uh, bar in the centre of Cardiff. Um, we got a VIP area in Pop World, on the Friday night, which I don't exaggerate here when I say it was perhaps the most tragic situation I've ever found myself in. Pop world. Honestly. Do you, ever, you, Look, do you know Pop world? Were you, were you listening so, to like S Club 7 or? Yeah, sort of. Like there was a bit of that. Something like that. <clears throat> yeah, I'll put it this way, mate. The music was the least of the of our concern. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the 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 playlist was probably the best thing about the place. Um, think, I mean, right? Where did you you grew up in? Like what Woodford sort of way? Yeah, yeah. So I don't. Where would you go out typically? Like Gantzill, sort Loughton. of Loughton. Was there a yeah. was there a Missoula there? Um, a Missoula so. or what was there? You, you must every like sort of town slash city's got one, right? The sort of place where the music's cheesy. If you have too many vodka and lemonades, you have a sore throat for three days. It's like that sort of place. But yeah. but like lots of young people tend to go there. The or, only place I mean, the young people might be stretching it, but the only place that I can think of um, is either uh, O'Neill's in Leytonstone, yeah, which is a little bit like that. Um, yeah. Went there way too much. Um, or you had. You I'm had talking like bar, bar come club. You had you had uh, new bar in Loughton, which which was a good place to go. Actually, you got a lot of footballers in there, but very similar vibe. I think. Yeah, you don't like get any place... footballers in Pop World, mate. Yeah, it was it was the place it was the place to be, but um, yeah, uh, where all the all the young people used to go, but a bit cheesy at the same time. If you know what I mean, it's a little bit cringe. But... Well, that was it. Yeah, that's this exactly it. Yeah, and to to get the VIP area at the back, which was um, effectively two like two tables roped off, um, and like but either side of like the walkway to the kitchen. Uh, I mean, yeah, v, VIP was pushing it, put it that way. Um, yeah, so that was that was on the the Friday night. Saturday we were due to go to Cardiff v Huddersfield, but that got moved because um, it was such a big game to the Sunday, so we couldn't go that anymore. Ended up at the Gareth Bale's place, and yeah, a few sort of bits. So no, no, no sort of you know no groundbreakingly hilarious anecdotes. One thing I would like to uh, say though this week, I just want to say a massive huge thank you. Uh, we've had a few, uh, we've had a few people getting involved. Um, buying us beers and getting involved on the um, on the, the socials as well that we always bleat on about each and every week. Uh, let me just get that um, up as I'm talking now. But um, yeah, so it was all in all, James, I say the Australia thing I would say is the most uh, exciting thing that's happened uh, to me this week. I'm proper looking forward to it. Have you ever been before? What, Pop World? No, Australia. Oh, I've not been to, been, been to Australia, no. Have um, you genuinely not? 
No, that's why I'm a little bit gutted that I can't make it this summer because I've, I've always wanted to go. I wanted to see what the right. fuss is about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, unfortunately not. No, fair enough, mate. No, me neither. So that's exciting. Right. Um, Tom, it was this week. You bought us five pints uh, on buymeacoffee.com slash we are West Ham. Really appreciate that. Tom, he said, thanks for a great podcast, lads. I'm from East London, but now live in the US. And this is a slice of home that I look forward to each week. Will giving James shit gives me joy. Keep it up, lads. So, James, it's, it's unequivocal. The listeners have spoken. The paying listeners as well, to be quite honest. It's what the fans want. So, from, from now on, if anything, I've got to maintain the level of grief I give you. Uh, and if, if anything, increase it because it's what's bringing the big bucks in. Do you know what I mean? Well, I can't remember the last time you gave me grief, though, mate. I must admit, I did think that. I did think that. I don't know if it's just a bit of light ribbing. I, I don't think I'll give you too much of a hard time anymore. I think overall no. I'm fairly nice to you, aren't I? Yeah, no, I, I, I saw that come in over the weekend and I was like, that's funny, but when was the last time Will rid me? I don't, I don't remember. Um, yeah, I mean, the geese I mean, has bought us five pints, to, Jonesy, week, so... to be fair. I mean, if, if, it's gonna cost, if it's going to bring in five pints every time, you can rip me as Five pints every week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't exactly know what it is. Yeah, I've sort of got to go pretty kind on you, on your clubber. I haven't given you any clubber grief for a while. Maybe it's the bit, the Dell Berry St. Edmunds thing and you calling it Berry four seconds in. Uh, I mean, that's yeah. sort of, yeah, that's up there. That's that's a proper James Jones. To be fair, though, going back to the clubber, you've had, you've had never had any reason to, 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 to say anything about my clubber. No. Never. It's been yeah, the other way around many a time. Reasonably stylish, I suppose. Definitely not for me. Definitely not Ooh. for me. Fair enough. Well, look, Tom, we really appreciate it. And David OG as well um, got in touch this week. He sent us an email and he bought us a couple of pints. He bought us three pints on uh, buymeacoffee.com slash Um Hi, guys. Hope you get to the Leeds match and raise a pint for me. Cheers, David from Canada. Really appreciate it for you, David. He did send an email in. Um, as well, just about the about the Leeds game. He's just a bit annoyed, uh, Jonesy. He's just saying, lived in Canada since the 80s, the early 80s, come home every couple of two or three years, see family and uh, try and go to the last home match of the, of the season. Um, he's been desperate for the Leeds match to come on the ticket exchange. Got an amazing seat and then the uh, confirmation came through and the date had been changed uh, to the 21st and he missed it. So he can't, <laughs> unable to change his flight home. So he'll literally be on the tarmac waiting to take off at kickoff time. Uh, but he does say shout out to the West Ham ticket staff. They refunded me the ticket amount and made an exception. Um, yeah, he's, he's just saying, he's, he's just like a little bit disappointed. Uh, but he said he's forwarded on a couple of beers for you to enjoy at the Leeds match in his absence. So uh, I am not certain yet whether I'm able to go with work. I assume you'll be going to uh, Leeds, will you, Jonesy? Uh, unfortunately not. I'm actually, mm. uh, I won't be at the stadium again for the rest of the season. Yeah. Because um, I've, I've had tickets for the semi-final next week, but now I'm in Montreal. So that's, I can't go to that. Um can't go to United this Sunday because I'm flying early Monday morning. Yeah. Um, and it's a it's a 7 p.m. kickoff, weirdly, on a Sunday, which is just a bit yeah, yeah. It's really annoying. So that's just, I can't do that. Uh, and then Leeds, I'm away that weekend for uh, our wedding anniversary. So that's it. Oh, fair enough, mate. So where are you going for the anniversary? Uh, we've booked a, a hotel spa um, about yeah. half an hour away from, from here. 
Um, we weren't initially going to do anything. The wedding anniversary is on a Saturday. The game's on the Sunday. And I thought, great, I'll be able to squeeze both in. Mm. Um, but now we've decided to go away for the weekend. So I'm done in Stratford for, for the season, which is Blimey, mate. gutting. Yeah, huge. Well, David, I'm very, very sorry that we won't be able to toast Jonesy and I at the uh, the Leeds match. But I can assure you, um, me and Jonesy do like a pint together every now and then. So I can assure you that next time we do that, we will indeed toast you. But he does say, Jonesy, it's because of West Ham's obviously excellent performance in the Conference League that the game's been moved. And if he had a choice to miss the last match of the season and for them to advance uh, through to the to the final, he wouldn't hesitate as he was at the 1976 final in uh, match in Brussels where they lost at, at the age of 15. Um, so, yeah, he said he's quite happy. A little bit of personal sacrifice there, which I like um, for the benefit of West Ham. Living their, lifting sorry, their first trophy in about 700 years. But, yeah, a few pints in there from Dave as well, buymecoffee.com, slash we are West Ham. I do just want to say that, Jonesy, actually. The last few weeks, particularly with all this stuff, as I've mentioned, Miriam uh, supporting that trip. Uh, to Australia for us later in the summer or for the podcast. Uh, it'd be great to meet some of the listeners out there. Uh, the generosity Miriam's shown there is absolutely unbelievable uh, just from listening to me and you ramble about West Ham uh, week in, week out from the other side of the world. That's really generally that means a lot to, to me and Jonesy and then everyone who's been getting in touch recently. We've sort of built uh, among our, our listeners, Jonesy, it's fair to say, uh, sort of quite a, a, just a nice friendly bunch of of West Ham fans, haven't we? Some with um, a little bit. Uh, there's obviously a few that can't stand what we talk about every week. We read out the negative reviews as well as the good ones. Uh, but yeah, a lot of you getting in touch with some positive vibes over the past few weeks, despite the sometimes bleak performances of West Ham. And uh, yeah, just worth putting on record, I suppose, the the joy and the smiles that brings to me and Jonesy as we get on with our normal weeks. Um, and try and see the positive side of, of supporting West Ham this season. So, yeah, you know where to get in touch with us if you want to do that. You can buy us a pint, you can just say hello, you can email us, get us on socials. But, um, yeah, we do read all the messages we get um, and we do appreciate it. So keep it up. Right, Jonesy, let's uh, look back to two defeats. 2-1 at home to Liverpool. All I'm going to talk about, you better have some more detailed thoughts on this because I'm just going to talk about being robbed by the referee. You can do the detailed analysis and then we'll look back at the Crystal Palace defeat um, and the only positive I'm going to take is that we all of a sudden look like we can score from set pieces again. So there's my summary. I'll leave the big finer details to you but look back to the Liverpool Palace games next. Two opposition views to look ahead to the City and United game this week and then some final thoughts from me and Jonesy. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, Priceline. Right, go on then, Jonesy. I've told you what I'm going to say for this section already. Liverpool game first, 2-1 defeat. Sensational goal from Lucas Paqueta to put us 1-0 up. Great little one-two with Mikel Antonio and he rifles one in from miles away. The You proper stitched me up uh, last week after my introduction to last <laughs> week's pod was me singing the Lucas Paqueta song. <laughs> Although we do put some clips from the podcast up on our YouTube, which we always encourage you to go and subscribe to. Um, well, yeah, well, I wasn't expecting from my, uh, as I introduced him as my close friend, uh, colleague and business partner every week uh, was to get completely tucked up with my face about two inches away from the camera yelling the Lucas Paquetta song did not explain that to be all over Twitter and Instagram uh, but that is exactly what James Jones did to me after last week's pod and it seemed to work because uh, yeah the uh, opening stages of West Ham's game against Liverpool he rifles one in 12 minutes in he think oh, here we go absolute magic unfortunately uh, Cody Gakpo pulls one back six minutes later. Jared Bowen has an excellent effort, ruled out four offside. Joe side Ben Rama just decides that he doesn't just want to be bad at attacking. He wants to be bad at defending as well and just waves Joel Matip through to header a rocket header to put Liverpool 2-1 up. And then I don't really know what to say about the penalty still. Yeah, we're, we're into the box. Thiago absolutely lunges in. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Jones, was it Soufal or Bowen? I can't remember off the top of my head who had the ball. But um, Thiago absolute, absolutely lunges in. And it hits the ball. It hits him on the arm, not once, but twice. He virtually traps the ball inside the penalty area of his arm. Nothing's given, which would, you know, late on in the game, 88 minutes, I think it was, 88, 89, something like that. Would have almost guaranteed West Ham a point if we'd put the penalty in the back of the net. And yeah, that's sort of the story of the game. All right, Liverpool had a lot of the ball, but West Ham have won plenty of games, or lots of the games West Ham have won this season where we haven't had much of the ball. Liverpool only had four shots on target, albeit we only had two. They were going to be the better team that was going to happen. But yeah, I just, as it always seems to happen against Liverpool as well, where I, what I'll always ask, you know, you've got VAR. And whether it's the the laws of the game that need changing or it's just the officials or whatever it is, as it always comes back to when people get into these debates about decisions, can you, you can't tell me that football is better with that not being a handball and a penalty. I'm still like incredibly baffled as to not only did, did, was it not penalty, but they didn't even look at it. They didn't even... Yeah, because he said, oh, it's not a clear and obvious error. And it's like, the game's gone on. It's gone on for a couple of minutes after the incident. The boy hasn't gone out of play. It gets... While that game's still going on, you've got the coaching staff and Moyes going nuts on the side. You've even got players while the game's been played around them going nuts. Yeah. nuts. To the point where Piquetta goes, right, I'm just going to kick the ball out. Mm. And he, turn, he turns around, points at the referee and goes, go and have a look at the screen. And the referee just waves his arms and goes, no, play on. So yeah. at what point... like? I don't think it's... I mean, the handball rule is a little bit ridiculous anyway. No one really understands it. Quite clearly, the officials don't understand it still. But, um, but it's it's the, also the... the um, when when do they and don't they use VAR? Is it just when they... 
they say only when it's a clear and obvious error. Um, but we've seen VAR being used for ridiculous situations before. Mm. Um, and then something like that, 88th minute, um, and they just go, no, no, I'm just, no, I'm just not even going to look at it. It doesn't take two two seconds. Like the people people sitting at home watching it on TV are getting the replay within two seconds. So surely mm. within a re, within two seconds of a replay, you can see that oh, it's not a clear and obvious error. Also, oh, it is a clear and obvious error. Let's have a look at it a little bit more closely. Tell the referee. Mm. It takes two seconds to realise whether it is or it isn't, um, and that's what VAR is there for. Um, but you could tell, mate. You could tell within twenty minutes of the game. You could tell that we were getting absolutely nothing from that. Throughout the entire ninety Why minutes, so? well, throughout the entire ninety minutes, there was ref-wise, you mean? Ref-wise, yeah, yeah. Um, there were players being tripped up, referees making, you got the ball signals clearly you didn't. You mm. got players being barged off the ball. Um, yeah, no foul, got the ball, um, and you could just tell that Liverpool were going to get absolutely everything, and eventually they'd get, they'd get a winner, and then it'd be very difficult for us to get back into it. Um, and then that's exactly what happened. And it wasn't just very difficult. It was practically impossible to get back into it because quite clearly VAR, the referee, the linesman, all of them um, appeared hell-bent on ensuring that Liverpool got the three points. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I tweeted what I did afterwards in terms of corruption because there were there were stages where it, it was as if they weren't even trying to hide the fact that they, were, they wanted Liverpool to, to, to win that game. There was there was one particular moment in the second half where the ball went out for a throw. It was very very clearly our throw, and you could tell the referee was arming and ahhing. He was he didn't want to give the throw to us. Mm. It happened right in front of us. He was kind of looking looking at his linesman, looking looking at his linesman, and then he went, "Oh, okay, it's, it's a West Ham throwing." It was like, mate, like you're not even trying to hide it now. Um, that's that's how I felt. That's the way I saw it. Um, I thought we played very well, to be honest. Um, very well worked goal to go ahead early on. Yeah. Um, you know, they scored a good equaliser. Defending could have been better for their winner. Um, but like, we should have taken a point away from that, um, or at least been given the opportunity to, if the rules um, and the laws were, um, you know, implemented correctly, and they weren't. Mm. And, you know, a lot, a lot of people say that the um, Liverpool get everything. The referees are scared of them. Referees are scared of Klopp and all that. It reminds me of Chelsea under Mourinho that first time when, you know, Chelsea got everything because everyone was just petrified of Mourinho. Similar thing. Similar thing at the moment. Um, and I'm, I, I won't have anyone tell me otherwise because it's just so clear and obvious now. Um, well, that, that's exactly. Good use of clear and obvious there, by the way. Um, <laughs> I just think, yeah, I, I just find, you know, and even ahead of the game, <clears throat> and I sort of get, I used to get it all the time about Man United. And it's why I was such an advocate for VAR in the first place, because you just, you know, the Man United one that still sticks with me is when uh, the ball went miles out of play for a throw in. Uh, before curling back in and then they score straight afterwards. And it's like so obvious. Match of the day did like the simplest graphic ever. And they haven't got the technology VR have and it's well out of play. I just feel going into United and Man- uh, Liverpool games, you always feel like you're up against more than just their players on their pitch. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like Whether or not Liverpool or United have got good players or not, it's already tough enough to get round 
some of the most expensively assembled squads in the world, then when you're getting another like five or ten percent advantage based on that's that's the thing, isn't it? It's it's the more subtle stuff. It's obviously, I mean, that decision at the end. I'm sorry, but I'm just not having it. I'm just not having that. That's okay. You look at the Mikel Antonio handball he conceded against Arsenal, the penalty that we won against Ghent in the Conference League uh, at home at London Stadium for the handball, very similar incident. And it's like, how is that not the same? Or it warrants a look, like you said, at least. It hit his arm twice. And it's like, oh, yeah. Um, oh, his, his, his arm was in a normal posi- position for the action he was doing. Well, well, what he did was lunge in and f- without getting the ball and force our player to take action to get the ball and himself out of the way. And only then, so that was should have been a foul anyway. Yeah. It, 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 you know, it's absolute, I just think it's garbage. It's, but it's I'm not... just bored. We had the Liverpool one, didn't we, Jonesy, a few seasons ago before VAR came in. I think it was James Milner in the build-up to a goal. Five yards offside right in front of the lino, but like five yards. And the line yeah. I was two yards away. Yeah. And I was just, I was just boring, mate, honestly. And that it was <clears throat> that's why I was such a pro VAR advocate. And I, that's why I still, on the whole, think prefer it to stay because I just used to, I was so bored of just feeling like coming away from games going, what's the point? What's the point? And that's exactly what it was like after Liverpool. I was like, what's the point of this? Like, it's... if we're not on a level playing field, there is no point in getting excited and watching the game really and paying for a ticket and all that stuff because I just can't be asked with it I think it I think it's the biggest destroyer of my passion and love for football over anything else is just feeling like robbed by like but it's, rubbish blatant decisions against big teams the, the claim that he's in a natural position is is ridiculous because the player's on the floor he's not a goalkeeper He's on the floor. Mm. He's not in a natural position as, as, as an outfield player. Being yeah. on the floor as an outfield player is not an, a, a natural position for a player to be in. So therefore, it's handball. Right? It's not. He's in an unnatural position, regardless of whether he moves yeah. or not. Yeah. Being um, sprawled on the floor with your arms out wide isn't a yeah. natural position, is it? Um, and then you've got, you know, your comment there about, you know, that it, it's supposed to make <laughs> it a more level playing field. Well, that, that's the whole point of the AR, and it clearly isn't isn't the case. Um, but you no, know, but it has made a lot. It, it, extent, it, has, it, has, a lot. it has slightly leveled it up, slightly. But it also makes the worst ones look bad because you're like, you've had a look at that again, and you still decided it. But How incompetent are you? Well, we'll get onto that uh, with the Palace one. But um, I, this is this is. I just I will never ever understand it. We brought in VAR to remove any doubt about any decision. In the entire game, in every single game, mm. there should be no doubt about every decision, because you've got the, now you've got the benefit of to watch it back and see what everyone else is seeing. And when they're still getting decisions wrong, not just ours, it happens a lot, happens mm. many, many times. The amount of apologies that the AR come out with this season, um, it happens all the time. So how have we got to this point where we've even given ourselves a chance of never getting a decision wrong again because we've basically taken any room for error away from it. But, but then we still get apologies from VAR. You still get, yeah. you know, you've still got them coming out going, oh, we're really <clears> sorry <throat> we got that wrong. The, the Tottenham Brighton mm. one the, the other week, absolute mare. It's like, 
I don't mm. understand how you're getting so many decisions wrong, one after the other, in the space of 90 minutes, when you, yeah. you're able to watch it back. It's just none of yeah, it makes ma- any sense. That's why it's, you know, why, yeah, okay, it may have leveled it up a little bit, but it's made the sport worse. No, I see. I, I still disagree. That I just think the thing that infuriates me more. I don't. I genuinely, mate, don't mind. There are ones that are really subjective, right? And that you could all look at them a thousand times, right? And for example, the Crystal Palace one. I think me and you are probably going to differ on that slightly. Not loads, but slightly. But there are lots of decisions, right? When you slow them down and watch them a million times, read the rules. There's room for cracks, and I think you know. Fair enough. There are going to be some that are just there's a huge degree of subjectivity, right? And I don't mind those. When they're like 51% plays 49, it doesn't matter. But I just think that Thiago thing at the weekend clearly benefits Liverpool and clearly uh, is a negative for West Ham. It hit his arm twice in the box after he's lunged in for a slide tackle in the penalty area where he hasn't got the ball. So the West Ham players had to force to make an evasive action to move the ball out of the way. We hear all the time, Mikel Antonio is against Arsenal, right? But he's made himself bigger. He's made his body bigger by his arms coming away from his body. If Thiago's body was not bigger from that action when the ball hits him on the arm twice in the penalty box as he's lunging in and missing the ball to make a challenge on the West Ham attacker, if that doesn't benefit Liverpool and, and is a detractor for West Ham, then I don't know what is. If you show that incident to 10,000 football fans in the country, you take away the kit and the players, right? You do it on CGI. So there's just like, you know, player X against player B. So you take all club bias away and just go to all football fans who love the game and go, right, if that happens in a real game, regardless of whose team it is, do you think that should be handball and a penalty? The vast majority of football fans go, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you can't get away with that. Like that's that's clearly a um, detrimental to the attacking team there. So yeah, obviously the you know, the defender should be an offence given against him. And I think, and it's like you know, you'd have eighty percent of football fans would say that. And I and, and they're the ones that get on my nerves so much, mate, because. What's the point of that the other night? You know, we play really well and we keep ourselves in it. Obviously, you can look at the goals and they're irritating. Jared Bowman's unlucky. Offsides, no problem with those. I think they've sorted themselves out this year. They're much quicker. There's no pondering around over lines. Uh, The technology seems to have got better and it just gets given really quick. And there isn't as many moanings about offsides anymore. So I think that's improved it. But I just... that's what I hated about football before. And I was just another one of them. Before the game, we go, oh, Liverpool, here we go. We need to beat, we need to be like 3 0 up in 20 minutes with the most perfect of goals ourselves, where no even sniff of an offence. And then have to ride a wave of loads of like 60 40 decisions going in their favour as well. And I was just bored of it, mate. And then when you yeah. get robbed like that at the end, I just think I'm just really bored of it. It's rubbish. It's, it's become quite obvious, particularly this season. That they pick and choose when to when to use VAR, um, and they uh, in which incidents to use it in, um, and they also mm. pick and choose which clubs benefit from it over, over others. Um, it, it's quite clear. Like this, the the data backs it out. Like if you look at how many clubs have benefited from con- supposedly contentious VAR decisions, and which clubs they are, 
heavily weighted towards some of the biggest clubs in the country. And that's just, yeah. you know, and they, they, they try and hide it by um, implementing um, decisions and maybe even putting in bad decisions in games against, um, between the, the so-called lesser clubs, i.e. West Ham and Palace that we saw at the weekend. Yeah. Just to kind, just just to kind of like mask over the fact that the bigger clubs have even more benefited, or benefiting from um, having uh, VAR at their disposal, and I'm, uh, it's going to take a lot to convince me otherwise. There, there's something going on behind the scenes that isn't isn't right. Yeah, I've, I'll be honest, mate. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's as like anywhere near as clear cut as that. I, I, I definitely subscribe to the idea that. That there's a the fear of Jurgen Klopp thing. I, I totally get that. The and the sort of a subconscious fear of the backlash in the press and the backlash in the public if it happens against the big team. Because let's be honest, let's call it as it is. If there's a huge contentious decision in Brentford v Brighton, no offense to either of those clubs, but it doesn't get as much focus as a contentious decision in a match involving Liverpool or Manchester United. So I definitely think there's a subconscious thing. Um, I don't know. I, 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 just just, think, I just don't think it's quite as, uh, you know, I don't we, think... Regardless of whether it is or it isn't, there shouldn't be... Um, there, should, there shouldn't be a backlash in the press if you're getting the decisions right that you, you should be getting right mm. with the benefit of video replays. Mm. Um, the fact is, there's going to be more of a backlash... If you continue to get it wrong, yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, when you should be getting it right, and when you've been helped to get it right, yeah, right, I'm going to help you out here. Here's a video replay yeah. for you to watch. Here's loads Actually, of. No, replays, I don't want to watch yeah. it. I don't want to watch it. It's like, what's the point? Like, it doesn't make mm. any sense. Agree, right, Jonesy? Look, that, that game was a, a while ago. Now it was a defeat. Anything else to add on the Liverpool game, good or bad? Before we move on, no, I thought it was good. Good performance. Um, yeah, I thought Paquette was superb that night. Uh, very, very good. Caps off of a very good goal. Um, yeah. yeah, all round good performance. Just unlucky at the end. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think the ref on-field ref against Liverpool is Chris Kavanagh. I believe he was involved in some capacity. I'm not sure if it was the on-field ref or the VAR. Um, when West Ham were denied a goal away at Chelsea, Maxwell Cornet's late equaliser for the biggest oh, fallacy of the decision yeah. ever. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I should have found that out beforehand, but he was either the on-field ref or the VAR were involved in some way there. So, yeah, certainly when you see Chris Kavanagh's name on the on the team sheet, it's not one I get overly excited about. But yeah, great goal from Paqueta. I think overall, 
if we'd have got a point out of the game, I, I think we'd have we'd have warranted it. I think we played all right. I don't think Liverpool were spectacular. Um, Crystal Palace, then James four three defeat. Just I don't know. Weird game, really. Roy Hodgson doing great things since he's gone back to Sellers Park to replace Patrick Vieira. You know, there's certainly none of that we're on the beach sort of stuff. They were probably safe anyway, but they've 100% cemented their Premier League status for next season. So it looks like replacing Vieira with Hodgson was a really good idea for them. Suchek gets us in front with a decent left-footed effort nine minutes in. 11 minutes later, we're 2-0 down after Jordan Ayew probably scored his nine millionth goal against West Ham. Uh, Zaha getting on the score sheet as well, back in their team after injury. They were worried he might have played his last ever game, but he was back to score. Jeffrey Schlupp makes it 3-0 on half an hour. A very sloppy mistake from, or well, poor pass from Aguered, I think, to get Suchek into trouble, but a stereo trademark crap touch from Suchek. Let Schlupp in. Mikel Antonio gets one back. On 35, the penalty, which we'll talk about in a minute, Eze goes down and then scores it, and Agued gets a consolation. Obviously, you see 4-3, you think, oh, that was an exciting game. Other than the Suchet bit at the beginning, never really in it. No, we weren't. It was a sluggish performance, and I, I said right at the beginning, didn't I, that um, I wasn't overly surprised with, the, with the, the energy levels and the performance levels against Palace because the team played nine games in a month. Um Twice they've had to play three and six days in April, and having done so well to you know get come back against Arsenal, we've beaten Southampton, Fulham, thrashed Ghent in the Conference League, and um, yeah, okay, we we lost to Newcastle, but the the Liverpool game would have taken uh, a lot out of them because they played very well, and then you know they go to Palace on a Saturday afternoon, and um, a Palace that's been revived by Roy Hodgson. Um, not surprised to see it that way. So, so to go one new up, I thought here we go. Um, but then a mixture of sloppy defending and um, just not being able to handle Palace's counter-attack led to us going 3-1 down. But even though we didn't really seem in it, despite going 1-0 up, I felt like we could always get something from it. Um, I really felt like, particularly when Antonio nods one in at the back post, you think, OK, we, know, we can still get something from this. I didn't, re- didn't really expect us to turn it around and go and win 4-3 or 5-4 or, or whatever you want, but um, certainly felt like we could we could nick something from them, um, particularly with the quality we've got and the quality we've got on the bench. But the players were knackered. You could tell they were absolutely shattered. Um, Paquette was you know, a shadow of the, the, the player that we'd seen earlier on in the month. Um, beginning to really find his form and show why we paid so much money for him in the summer. He was nowhere to be seen. I thought Declan Rice was quiet. Um, Suzuma limps off. Um, so there was a lot of players there that just were, were out of form um, for now. So I expected to, you know, back in starting 11, I expected him to, to have a good game. And even he was um, not the sort of player that we would expect to see. So it's a little bit, a little bit frustrating, but it's the penalty decision at the end that, uh, well, not the end, but it's the penalty decision that just still I can't get red around it. I know we're going to disagree on it, mate, but I really don't understand how they've looked at that and still then decided that it's a penalty. I just don't don't understand how this time they've used VAR, they've seen the player um, jump out the way of um, a tackle. Uh, or a leg, see no contact being made, 
fall on the floor and then still give a penalty. Like they've watched it back. They've had the benefit of watching it back. Thankfully they did. And they still gave the wrong decision. Like mm. none of it makes any sense. And I know judging by what you've what you hinted at earlier, you you slightly disagree. But they they don't give that penalty. We we draw that game three all and you go away, go cool. Do you know what? You may have got away with one there, but we've done yeah. well to come back and get back into it. Um and that's a that's a good point away from home against the revived Palace side. You yeah. come away going, okay, well, we've scored three goals despite not playing very well, but we've conceded four, one of which was a complete joke. Like, help us out, VAR. Like, mm. I yeah. I don't, like, I'm interested to hear what you think of the penalty because I'm still adamant to this day that it's just <clears throat> never, never, ever a penalty, ever. Yeah, I think it's the old arm out, isn't it? I, no, all I will say is no, 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 no. I'm not because I, I. All I will say is it wasn't as adamant as the the Liverpool one, as in the Liverpool one was far more of a penalty. I feel far more robbed by not getting the penalty against Liverpool than I feel by Palace getting that penalty. If you know what I mean, I think and look, I agree it's soft, and I I feel and it is. He's definitely embellished it and there's an element of diving there as well. And I get all that. Um, I think Aguered gives him a decision to make by reaching out and sort of grabbing him, honestly. Um, so, again, I still think it's probably a, a 60-41 or a 65-35. But I sort of... It, it, yeah, that's all I will say on it, is that it's not as much of a travesty as not getting the penalty against Liverpool. I would understand the uh, the argument that he's put his arm out, which he's given him a decision to make, if Eze hadn't flicked his legs up in the air as if he'd been tripped over. Mm, yeah, Eze, Eze isn't trying to win the penalty because Aguero's put his arm out in front of him, which is a very natural move to make when a player's running past you at speed, Yeah. by the way. Yeah. Um, instead, he's flicked his legs up out of the way of Aguero's leg uh, in an attempt to try and Dupe the referee into thinking there's been made contact on his leg. <clears throat> on his yeah, leg. Yeah. Um, the action is very, very clear. He's dived, and the replays yeah. show it in real time. It's pr- it, it, it's clear in the replays make it even more clearer. As I has dived in the penalty area, they've looked at it VAR and they've still decided it was a penalty. Like none of that <laughs> makes sense to me. Like none of that makes no, sense. Quite. Um, yeah. I. And both of them, both decisions in, in the space of four, three days or whatever it is, like two of the worst decisions we've seen this season in the Premier League from a VAR perspective. I, I don't understand it. I, I don't the understand second, why. But, I don't yeah, understand the why. The definitely worse. But... Um, it, yeah, we're now, we're now giving, we're now using VAR to, to basically say that diving is okay. Like that's the situation we're in now with that penalty. Like the player has clearly dived, as he's clearly dived, and he's been rewarded. Yeah, you know what? You you do make a good point, and I am on that side of the fence. And I think if West Ham had won that pen, you go for that's lucky. There's no, there's no evidence. Hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent. There's no evidence that Aguero even holds on to his shape. Puts his arm out. Which is just mm. a natural natural movement to but make. But he's sort of it's like grabby, you know. He's he's not dragged his shirt. 
Because if you drag your shirt, Eze falls in a very, very different uh, rhythm and, and way. Yeah, but the thing is, the players go down to accentuate the contact, don't they? I'm saying that's right, just the way of the game now. He's fixed his legs up. Like Aguirre didn't have his arms around him. He wasn't playing rugby. He wasn't trying to tackle him. <laughs> like, he wasn't trying to grab his legs. He put his arm out in front of his, yeah. in front of his body. Uh, but he's gone down as if he's, he's had his legs broken. And I just none of it makes sense, mate. Like That's why it's just really, really, really inept, bad decision to make when you've got the replays there to help you make that decision. You yeah. still got it wrong. I it's, just think the it's the contact that makes that makes it difficult for him to overturn it. Do you know what I mean? Like I get, do you know what I mean? Cause he, he gave the players, at what point then do players mm-hmm. just like, are we going to turn football into being a non-contact sport? Like, no, no. I'd, you, I'd, yeah. Like there's, there's, there has to be contact between two players, particularly when a player is trying to stop another player from running past him. Um, yeah. And, Unless he's, he he physically pulls him down by his shirt in that situation, then there's going to be contact there that doesn't mean that it is a foul or that he's yeah. encroaching the player. Like players touch players all the time. Like are we going to give everything a foul for players? Are we going to turn this game into basketball? Like I don't, yeah. none of it makes sense, mate. It, it, it that's the way we're going if if we're going to start giving penalties because a player yeah. dived, but because the other player <clears throat> didn't touch him somewhere on the body, then it's still a penalty. Fair enough. What about the rest? Let's look at the rest of the game then. No, I, I sort of get what you're saying there, and I, I do think it's soft. Yeah, I just I think because I don't feel as disgusted by it <laughs> as I do the Liverpool one. It's perhaps I'm a little bit calmer. Um, the rest of the game though, good to see us scoring from set pieces again. Worrying as David Moyes has alluded to in recent weeks about our ability to score from open play in the Premier League in particular. Obviously. Bournemouth was a um, you know, slightly different situation. Um, but conceding four, not great. The Suchek, the Jeffrey Schlupp goal. I honestly thought, I think Zaha's one, I just thought was quite a good goal. Everyone mm. obviously looks at your own team, but I think they did well there. Um, he did well to, to keep over the finish. It was some good play down the wing. Ayu always scores against us, I swear. I mean, he, the, the geezer scores about three goals a season every season, and they're always all against West Ham. Yeah, they, they, um, the commentator said, oh, that's his third goal of the season. It was like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, he probably hasn't scored yeah, yeah. or something like that. <clears throat> yeah, probably against in the return leg against West Ham, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then the, yeah, the, the Schlup one, again, and that's what sort of crept into our game, isn't it? A little bit more this season, I guess it's a bit of a confidence thing. And the position in the league, you had Fabianski uh, the other week in the Newcastle drubbing, made a couple of really uncharacteristic errors. Now for Gwed, I've seen a few questions about him recently. Um, <clears throat> look, I, I think with that, 70% of the blame there is on Thomas Suchek, to be quite honest. But I think 30% of it goes for Gwed for playing a pass into a teammate and who had a attacking player right up his backside. And Suchek's, honestly, you know, he, he, his channel is his Mikhail Anto- inner in Mikhail Antonio with that touch, um, which, which lets Schlup in and, you know, capitalises on it. Um, and that, that's just the sort of thing, isn't it? Like, Thomas Suchek, is, I know he scored, but I'm, let's be honest, the goal, it falls Perfectly for him. Oh, anyone, anyone on the team scores that. 
yeah, that's not him leaping like a salmon or showing great attacking intent, is it? That's just like, yeah. oh, it's fallen it's right onto my left foot, so yeah. I'll swing my leg at it and it goes in. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I don't know what the answer is, Suchek wise, or what the truth is about why he keeps getting a game every single week. Um, but he does. I did, yeah, just just like poor again. Um, and really, uh, it's one of those. I think last season we get a point out of that, or we win it. Um, but just some uncharacteristic. A bit like Newcastle. You know, we played well in spells, but as you see in the Premier League, those lapses in concentration and like the a grave error, you just can't afford those anymore, can you? That's a grave error by Suchek there. Um, and if it doesn't do that and the soft penalty doesn't get given, you only can see two goals and it doesn't look quite so terrible. But you know, if my uncle had a a todger, she'd be my auntie or whatever the phrase is. <laughs> I've got that completely wrong again, haven't I? If my well, uncle. What's it? No, if my auntie had gender a willy, she'd be my uncle. Yeah, sorry, mate. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. quite. Um, yeah, I'm normally. I'm not, actually, I was going to say I'm normally pretty good at phrases. On this podcast, I tend to trip over them all the time. Um, so yeah, lots of what ifs and if this happened, if this happened, but it didn't. Suchek's made another error um, and let Palace into score. <clears throat> we have conceded a soft penalty. Um, so yeah, just a, just an odd one, isn't it? And not score. Obviously, we score three goals, which is good. But yeah, just a, I think I don't really know how to feel after it. I just you sort of it's a shame because I thought if we could have got a point there, uh, if we'd have got a win, I think we're one hundred percent safe. Absolutely no doubt. I still think we are. Um, but if we got a point, that would have made it feel a little bit more comfortable again with the games we've got coming up. It sort of puts a lot of pressure, even more pressure on the Leeds and Leicester games now. Assuming we're not getting anything from City and United. Um, yeah, how did it sort of leave you feeling afterwards then, sort of bigger picture-wise, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, it was frustrating because only a couple of weeks ago we were looking at our, our remaining fixtures and I think I think we, most West Ham fans would have looked at Palace away and gone, right, there's an opportunity for points. Um, and barring the, the, the victory at Bournemouth, a lot of it's kind of gone gone to plan so far. Mm. Um, you know, there was yeah, we could, there was feeling that we could go to Bournemouth and get something. We ended up fashion them, which was somewhat surprising. Yeah. But you know, didn't really expect to get anything from Liverpool. Um, but then everyone looked at the Palace game and went, "That's an opportunity for us to get some more points on the ball." And mm. we've not got any. And then you're going into these two games you've got this week, and it just adds that a little bit additional pressure that perhaps you know we could probably done without going into a European semi final next week. Yeah. Um, because you know you lose Annex two games, it takes is for you know Leeds or Forest or even Leicester to pick up pick up wins, and then suddenly we're going into a, a semi final, knowing that we're only a point above the, bo- the, the bottom three, um, um, or, or two, you know, one or two points above the bottom three, um, and and um, we've got Brentford, Leeds, and Leicester still to play, and it's like. This is getting a little bit tense again. When only a mm. week ago we were like, "Lovely, happy days." Go to Palace, get, get something, and we're we're all but safe. And now it's a little bit like, oh, uh, a little bit worrying. But <clears throat> I, I, like you, I think we are safe. I think we will stay up. Um, it's just frustrating that it's going to be a little bit tighter than we'd anticipated at this point. Which may, I hope it doesn't, which may affect mindset going into semi final. Yeah, I agree. But look, I think. We need so we've got assume we lose at City, 
um, on Wednesday. We've then got 34 points and have played 34 games, which is the same as every single team below us. So we're 15th. Leicester on 34 points. Leicester, Leeds, Forest are the next three teams and they're all on 30 points. Other than Leicester, all of their goal difference is terribly worse than ours. So bad that it's almost worth an additional point. I think with Leicester and Leeds still to play, Leicester is three goals behind us, so that could swing. But I think you you need three teams to make up a four-point swing on us, but two of those three teams basically need to make five points up on us because of the, the goal difference. Those teams can't buy a win this season, mm. and I think we're going to stay up not through strength of our own convictions necessarily but because of the weakness of those teams you need Leeds and Nottingham Forest to get five points from their remaining four games and us to pick up zero by the way to mean they would overtake us and then that still would only leave a 17th if Leicester didn't manage to do it I just think you 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 need too much to happen elsewhere for us to go down Mm-hmm. And that's assuming we pick up no more points. We still have Leicester and Leeds to play. And we've seen this season that we tend to pick it up, particularly at home, uh, against the teams who are struggling. Leicester and Leeds are in absolute disarray. It looks like they're about to appoint Sam Allardyce. They may have yeah. already done it, actually, at time recording. Um, and, you know, that sort of you think, oh, God, no. But realistically, is he going to be able to turn something around so quickly? I'm not so sure. Uh, so, no, I think we'll be okay. But anyway, Jonesy, listen, uh, good looking back. Uh, it's time to look ahead to the games this week now. So we'll speak to Steve Tudor from the 93-20 podcast next to look ahead to that game at the Etihad against Manchester City in the Premier League. On Wednesday, then we'll have a Manchester United opposition view after that to look ahead to the game at London Stadium on the weekend before some final thoughts from me and Jonesy. Stay with us. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. So I'm delighted to say joining us once again on the We Are West Ham podcast is Steve Tudor from the 9320 Manchester City podcast. Steve, great to have you back with us. Thanks for joining us once again on the We Are West Ham podcast. Look ahead to Manchester City versus West Ham at the Etihad on Wednesday night in the Premier League. Very, very good and important win from your team at Fulham on Sunday, 2-1. 
wasn't quite as easy as some people were thinking it may be with Fulham, you know, accusations at them that they're going to be on the beach. Obviously, the massive win mm. against Arsenal last Wednesday made everyone really start saying, if they weren't already, that the city, the, the title, excuse me, is in City's hands. How are you feeling, first of all, before we get into the specifics of the game? How are you feeling about um, the, the position, the league table, the title race and all that at the moment? Um, well, firstly, pleasure to be here always is, mate. And um, as regards to the title race, I'm feeling a lot more confident now than I was three or four weeks ago, for sure. Um, the Fulham game was really interesting because it was the first time in several months we've seen City put in a professional performance. By which I mean, right. we, we we ground it out. Uh, we just ensured yep. we got the points. Um, up to that point, we've been free flowing. We're just playing absolutely fantastical football, and um, we just did enough against Fulham. So that's really interesting mm. going into the Hammers game to see if the same kind of criteria applies. Uh, we'll wait and see because we've got form for this. You know, we've got the nous and the knowledge of how to get over the line. Um, a few years ago, we won 14 games in the bounce to, to fend off Liverpool. Um, we can put together winning runs. And amongst those winning runs, there's a lot of 1-0s, 2-1s. You know, last 10 minutes, just seeing the game out, taking the ball to the corner flag. Um, and that was the first time I saw that against Fulham. So I'm anticipating it to be close against West Ham. I'm sure we'll get to that. And we may well see that those same practices applied where we just try and see the game out. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, like you say, it just seems if recently all of your league victories have just seemed, well, most of your victories, to be quite honest, but the majority of your league victories have just have, have been whitewashes almost, yeah. haven't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah, I mean, just going back to the end of February, 4-1 away at Bournemouth, 2-0 at home to Newcastle, or a 1-0 away to Palace is the, <clears throat> the closest one, basically, as I'm looking at. There's obviously a 7-0 and a 6-0 against Leipzig and Burnley in different competitions in there. 4-1 at Man City, 3-1 at home to Leicester and then 4-1 at home to Arsenal. It's the first one, uh, really, other than that Palace one I mentioned in that run yeah. of results, which has been not a completely comprehensive uh, scoreline by at least two goals. Yeah. And were you expecting that uh, from the game at Fulham? Do you think there's a bit of a hangover? Was there any exertions from Arsenal or is it just that it's going yeah. to be one of those thrown in every now and then? Well, I heard beforehand, you know, that Fulham were going to be on the beach. They've, they were looking that way for several weeks and then they start to pick up. So I didn't know what to expect, to be honest. Oh, it's a tricky fixture. And as a fan watching, it was a case of just getting the three points. Don't care how we play. Just, you know, I certainly don't care about the scoreline as long as it's <laughs> in our favour. Um, we've scored 37 goals in the last 10 games. So 3.7 that is game is... Oh. It's stupid. phenomenal, isn't it? It's, yeah. Against, against Bayern, against Liverpool, against Leipzig, yeah. as you said there. Um, we're on beating in 18 games. So we are in pristine form right now. Mm. But any banana skin lies on the horizon. You just don't know. You know, we've got really tricky games. We've got you guys, we've got Brighton away, we've got Brentford away. Um, all the talk going into the Arsenal, certainly after the Arsenal game, was we've got the title wrapped up absolute nonsense have we got the title wrapped up no way um mm. we're in pole <clears throat> position now and as i said earlier we've got the tra proven track record of knowing how to cross cross that line but whether we yeah. do or not you know we've got some really good teams to play definitely taking nothing for granted and um, that would be ridiculous to do so 
No, of course. I was going to ask you, actually, because obviously it's easy for fans of other clubs and pundits to pass comment and yeah, like, like make sweeping statements that it's all wrapped up. Being a City fan, what, what is the talk among fans? Because quite honestly, Steve, you, what I find so impressive about this Manchester City team under Pep Guardiola in recent seasons, and obviously West Ham fans have got that a bit of affinity with, with City. There's, a, there's that sort of, I don't know, brotherhood, friendship thing among the fans or yeah. whatever it might be. Um, and I, I, I don't know. So it's easy for lots of West Ham fans, I think, to appreciate uh, the quality of, of City over the last few years without sort of sneering down their noses like other other fans tend to do. But the even earlier in the season, and I'm not just saying this because of the position you're in now, even when Arsenal were racing away with it earlier in the season, 50 points or whatever it was from the first half of the season, which is phenomenal, and they've had a great campaign. Yeah, I honestly was like, well, no, City will win it. City will definitely win it. Because as exactly what you've said now, that unbeaten run you're on, it yeah. always, it's almost like Guardiola, well, of course he knows what he's doing, he's a genius, but tunes up your team. Yeah. And just so you're in that pristine condition, as you put it, for the, the yeah. bit of the season when it really, really matters. And he yeah. said after one of his games the other night, it might even have been the Arsenal game, that, Oh, you know, if you lose a game in September, October, you always are. Like, oh, you've got time. Arsenal didn't approach that. They approached every game in the first half of the season like it's a final. And he was almost in his way, sounding like he's being complimentary to the other team. But what it actually sounded like he was saying, they raced out the blocks far too early. They're always going to yeah. burn out. I know what I'm doing because my my team always hits form at this time of the season where all the games you're playing matter far more than they do earlier in the year. And I, as an outsider, I just had ultimate confidence that you'd do it again. Surely, I know you're trying to be a bit pragmatic and and do the sensible thing of not saying it's wrapped up, but surely given the sort of football you've watched over the last few seasons, you must have seen exactly what I've seen and what the rest of football fans have seen. You must have more confidence in in Guardiola and and your players to see it and, and to actually like take it over the line. If it was better odds available, I'd put money on City to win the league. No question yeah. about it. You know, I could detach, I could detach myself from you know being kind of a City supporter and or any supporter yeah. of your club. You always have that pessimism, don't you? And of so I can detach myself from that and see you know what kind of advantage we we hold right now. Of course, <clears throat> um, as regards to you're absolutely right in the fact that um, Guardiola basically sets up in terms of fitness and and team selection and everything. It's all geared towards February onwards, and um, because you know. Inevitably, we're usually fighting on at least three fronts. Um, mm. And we never, learn, as City fans, we never learn. So, you know, on, on the podcast we do, it's we'll lose in September and it's Armageddon. We'll lose in November and it's like, <laughs> oh, we are struggling this year. What's going on? Nothing's clicking, <laughs> you know? We never, ever learn. Um, because yeah, yeah. this, we just look at a different team every year. Um, yeah. And Arsenal have done superb, I have to say. And, and you know, I take my hat off to them. But cool. last year... And this sounds a bit spoiled because of the amount of league titles we've won. But last year, if I'm being absolutely truthful, it meant more to deprive Liverpool of a league title than mm. us winning it. It was yeah. unimaginable. I couldn't imagine how unbearable they'd be if they'd won the league. Um, yeah. This year, I, I knew what Arsenal fans were like. I knew we were a bit hysterical on Twitter and all the rest of it. But I had no idea, mate. 
Jeez, yeah. how do you look put up with him? Oh my god. So okay, it would be more to win it than to deprive Arsenal of it, I have to say, but it's close. It really is close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The week to deprive him. It's, they've been unbelievable. Mm. No, yeah, yeah. Listen, you you are totally right. No, I, I think um I mean to sort of put your put my fan hat on a little bit, um, you know, rather than the professional one I have to have for most of the time. I think with that there is definitely. I mean, like I say, it's difficult because West Ham fans, me included, I've always liked City. Like even yeah, before yeah, you were, yeah, yeah. honestly, even be- like if before all the money came in and all that sort of stuff. And the reason, I, and I'll, I'll have explained this on this podcast before. And the reason is, and this is kind of how I view all other clubs really, is because of their fans. And I look at Man yeah. City fans, and I go. I see just a northern version of West Ham fans. I, yeah, it's no yeah. fault among your fan base. None of you had any say about the fact you got taken over by Sheikh Mansour. You, none, none of you lot had any say in that. Uh-huh. You supported your team when you were as crap and crapper than we are, or and we were, you know, in the lower leagues, all that sort of thing, and still getting tens of thousands of fans in at Main Road every week. Um, and you stuck with your side. So those fans of, you know, so-called traditionally bigger clubs, uh, but particularly the ones in London. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Um, yeah, perhaps that's right, actually. Perhaps I just like, you know, sort of the, the traditional not, establishment. I mean, it being stuck to or whatever. Yeah, we, we've never been part of the establishment. West Ham, City. No. I mean, you can, can go through like 10 clubs who are big clubs, brilliant clubs, brilliant fan bases. We're not part of the mm. establishment. And this comes across in the media as well, in, in how City are portrayed compared to how Liverpool and United and Arsenal have been portrayed. And mm. it really gets under our skin. Um, I'm, I've tried to let that go this year. I've had enough. It's never going to yeah. change. So why fight it? But yeah, yeah. I mean, I've said on this pod before uh, a couple of times, West Ham are my second club. I love West Ham. Mm. If I wasn't a City fan, yeah. I would undoubtedly be a hammer, even though I live yeah. in the North. And, and, you know, yeah. There's just something about your club I've just always liked, and I think as I got older and realised and started to look into it, it's the fans. We we, we are yeah, very like for like. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, and, and okay, when we were taken over, everything changed for us, but nothing changed for our, us as fans. And no, we of are, course it didn't. We're repeatedly portrayed as being, you know, billionaires and state owned and all the rest of it. We're not. Mm. I'm not state owned. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. It's like minimum wage. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so there's not many fan bases who get that, and West Ham fans do. And I can promise mm. you, and I know it's ridiculous for me to speak on behalf of thousands upon thousands of City fans, but from the vast majority, and, and certainly the, the City fans I know, it's appreciated. Mm. We see it on Twitter, um, yeah. and, and we see the fact that West Ham aren't one of those fan bases who, who have these snide digs at us, and, and it is appreciated, yeah. I promise you. Yeah, yeah, and I'll be honest. But sort of to your point there. So from from my perspective, I've all if it, if it's like a, a run in at the end of the season, particularly yeah. if it's against um, one of the other London clubs. Yeah, I'm I'm back in City every day of the week. Yeah, yeah. You know, the same same yeah. as as when when it was up against Liverpool, I would be the same against if it was against United as well, really. Um, but that's a combination. You know, I've just sort of liked City for for a long time. Anyway, I think it came from playing uh, Pez and my career mode with Sanji High and Sylvain <laughs> Distan and Nicky Weaver or whatever it was in the the good old days. Great um, yeah, yeah. But what so, but what I mean is now this season, 
I, I honestly, you know, to like I say, when I talk about how I judge clubs, there's a mm. there's a reason, and and it being based around the fans, there's a reason I really don't want Arsenal to win the league this yeah. year, okay. and that is because talk of delusions of grandeur, the amount of Arsenal yeah. fans down in uh, London and around me who've just been who've been living in the glory days for the past however many years, you know that, that yeah. they deserve to be up at the top of the league, and I think. Arteta's done an absolutely phenomenal job, yeah. but yeah, honestly, I mean, listening to some of the uh, the Arsenal fans that um, that, that you know, they, that they I just go from know, one extreme to another. They regard themselves as being you know, the establishment club, and you know they are rightfully up there. That's, that's where they belong. Yeah. But also, before kickoff last week, there was an Arsenal fan. They're four points clear at this stage and about to play the team in second place. So a chance to mm. go seven points clear. Yeah. And an Arsenal fan said, we can still win this title. We can. They're so insecure. And yet, yeah. it, it's 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 two polar opposites. Um, there's yeah. nothing in the middle. There is absolutely no yeah. room in the middle where they reside. And um, yeah, it's yeah. been tiring kind of taking them on on Twitter and debating with them and all of it. it has, it's been exhausting. And, and the yeah. fact that you guys have to do this all the time, God bless you. I mean, I couldn't do this. <laughs> yeah. We have to do it in person, not just on Twitter. They're all over the place down here. But yeah, now a Tottenham colleague of mine, um, sorry, t- colleague, a Tottenham friend of mine the other day made a very good point in one of our group chats to um, one of our fellow Arsenal or the, the one of the Arsenal fans in the group. And he said, oh, I assume now, I think it was after the Southampton game. He said, oh, I assume now um, we're back to... Mikel Arteta not being up to it, um, Martin Odegaard yeah. being a bottle job, and uh, yeah, yeah. Aaron Ramsdale being the worst keeper since, you know, uh, yeah. like Alan McKnight or whatever in the 80s, just like we were at the beginning of the season. Yeah. Am I right? You know, it's just one of those things. I totally get it. Yeah. But listen, mate, yeah. th- let's talk about the West Ham game. Obviously, um, uh, obviously, be remiss not to talk to you about the title race, given the position your club are in at the moment. Just quickly, actually, mate, before we go on to the, the Hammers game this week, treble chances? I know it's a bit of a, a question yeah. you've got to ask, but what are you thinking? Because I, I just find, I just think it's that Champions League thing, the mental yes, exactly. side of that. But and Real Madrid. It's the fact that it's Real Madrid. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I'm actually touching wood as I'm saying this um, because I don't want to jinx anything, but I do fancy it's in the FA Cup final. I do think we'll have a beating of United. Um, yeah, and I think you know if we turn up and we show up, then we beat United four times out of every five games, I believe. Uh, yeah. Real Madrid semi final that's a totally different ballpark, you know, over two legs. It's a kind mm. of coin flip, really. Um, and it's hard to say. Um, and you know, the title race is anything but over. So to win a, a, a treble right now just feels like a, a, a kind of no, I was going to say far-fetched. It's not far-fetched. It is in our grasp, but it, it feels like a distant dream right now. And if mm. we can get past Real Madrid, and yeah. by that stage, if we've still got an advantage over Arsenal with a couple of games to play, then I would fancy us. Because um, this team does have a winning mentality. Um, we're, we're tripped up in the Champions League. I mean, the manner in which we went out to Real Madrid last year was surreal. Oh, that's um, the thing, that so- collapse was just... Unbelievable, there's isn't something it? about that, that that tournament, man. There's just something about it. And, and yeah, think, honestly, and there is, isn't there? You know, it, it happens every time. It, it's you know, mm. Leon. It, it, you can <clears> go through them all, but um, and Liverpool as well. But and Spurs, Spurs one broke my heart. It really did. The manner in which we lost to that, and, and mine, and mine, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I can honestly say 
that the Champions the league always means more to me in the Champions League, always by some distance. But this year, really, even at this stage, oh, absolutely. To win the really, league, yeah. it's just it feels incredible every year, yeah. and I want us to win it year after year after year. Um, but the Champions League, <laughs> it's this year. It's more important just just to kind of shut up all the critics, you know, just so yeah. finally Guardiola's got a Champions League and we can move on from that. Yeah. So yeah, that that was more this year, but um. Then again, now I've just remembered the Arsenal fans. It's the league for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Well, um, look, West Ham come to town in the Premier League mm. tomorrow. And, you know, all the games now for you lot are just as important uh, as the others. Every single match that you play, and that includes um, West Ham, of course. You went back ahead of uh, Arsenal with that win at Fulham over the weekend. You've now played one game less than they have. They play Chelsea tonight on the, this tonight. Yeah. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday morning. And uh, look, I mean, what do you, what do you make of the West Ham game? Cause I'll be honest, you, our record against you guys, I, I'm almost, I'm weirdly less fearful going to the Etihad than when you come to the London stadium. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, we, we tend to do okay there. And even if it's, you know, even if we don't end up getting results, it's often you need a last-minute winner or yeah. you know, it's, it's very tight. It's usually we usually give you a good game, um, whereas London Stadium, we have a habit of just like rolling over and getting stuffed. Um, what, what are your thoughts? Exactly those thoughts, to be honest. It, I'd rather it be at your place tonight than ours. Um, it, it's just <laughs> a weird quirk, quirk isn't it? But, it's but odd, you, isn't it? Yeah. Back over the last, yeah. Um, and, and it's even harder when you think of you know, Moyes and his record away at the top six. Um, I need to look into it, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's done better against City than against the other five uh, away from home. Um, yeah. My deal career. And then you go back to his Everton days as well. Everton, we used to fear Everton. I mean, they used to just really? was over on all, all the time, yeah, mate. Uh, and last season, you know, he went right to the wire. So it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Zoom is out, isn't he? So that is yeah. a big plus for us. Um, De Bruyne is kind of, at this point, I think it's about 70% that he plays. Um, right. But no one knows for sure. And obviously, that's a big, big factor. Um how are you feeling about it, Will? Are you seeing this as do you think that you're pretty much safe, or are you right in a relegation battle in your mind? I, I, I mean, to be honest, I've been saying we're safe for ages, like that it will be okay. Um, I was properly doubled down on it after we went and thrashed Bournemouth away. Obviously, the results since have been a little bit dodgy. The four-three defeat at Sellers Park has got the got all the Moyes haters out again um I don't I don't know really I, I think what's I basically just said not because we're any good but that because the teams below us were very rubbish do you know what I mean and yeah, it was almost like oh, was. oh yeah that, that no one's going to get enough points to catch us and it still feels a little bit like that obviously we've, we've got this game in hand but it's City away so we kind of just assumed we've always been on the same games Assume we lose, that puts us uh, leaves us on thirty-four points. That's four points ahead of um, Forest, Everton, Southampton, who are in the relegation zone. It also puts us though four points ahead of Leicester and Leeds, who are in the two places below us. Been so terrible. you basically need th in in the space of four games, you need three teams to reverse oh. a four-point swing against us. Albeit yeah, yeah. we do play Leicester 
in uh, in one of those games. And our games are difficult. I just fancy, I was hoping we'd do it at Palace, to be fair, at the weekend. But I just fancy we'll nick a win from somewhere, yeah. which will put us on 37 points. And I think that'll be more than enough. I don't, again, of course, I don't really think that's going to happen at home to, uh, sorry, away to City or at home to Man United, who we play on Sunday. We still go to Brentford. We've got Leeds at home and then away, away to Leicester. And then we go, yeah, sorry, that which is our last game of the season. With that Leeds and Leicester game, I just can't see us losing both of those games, plus them yeah. and Forrest getting enough points elsewhere. It just still seems... I don't think it's going to be a glorious end to the season league-wise. I think we could still win the Conference League. Um, but yeah, I, I just feel like we'll, we'll be okay great. and have done for ages. I've never really panicked, but more just because of the lack of quality in the teams around us rather than you know any particular strengths of our own. Um, but yeah... How does it? You mentioned De Bruyne there. How does Pep approach um, the game? Then is it, you know, is he as in team selection wise? Not that your B team is particularly weak, but um, how does he sort of go about picking a team and and what sort of approach are we expecting then from the game on it's, Wednesday night? What we've seen in recent weeks, uh, again, if we go back to kind of November time. Um, on, on the podcast, we always do a, a lineup prediction and we always get it hopelessly wrong. It's like picking names out, out of a raffle. You know, you can never kind of second guess Guardiola. You can now. You, you, you know, you, you really can. The yeah. past few weeks, it's one or two changes. Um, it's things behind the scenes that we don't know anything about, as in what players are in the red zone. You know, the medical yeah. staff, he, he'll be leaning on his medical staff right now, finding out which players are in the red zone and just leaving them out for a week. Um, yeah. Possibly that might be Grealish. Grealish has played a lot of games recently. Um, so maybe Mares might come in uh, or Foden. Foden's back now as well. And is looking quite sharp considering he had an operation recently. Um, but yeah, it will be one or two changes. Um, the interesting one, of course, would be whether De Bruyne starts or whether he'll be on the bench. Um I fancy him to be on the bench, to be honest, uh, and then to, to come on if kind of needed um, for the last yeah. 30 minutes um, because we can't be messing around with his his kind of fitness going into these last few weeks. We just can't. Um, no, Harlem will start. Alvarez is a really interesting one. Um, will he start two games in a row? He hasn't so far this season. It's, he's been kind of coming in and out. Um, so, yeah, it, I think we're talking one or two changes from the weekend. Um and he's not tinkering anymore. And what we're also seeing as well, and again, I'm really definitely touching wood when I say this, we are not seeing evidence of any left field, you know, pep madness, um, which typically does seem to come in during the big games, Champions League finals for one. Um, but we haven't seen much evidence of that Mate, as well. He's yeah. basically playing his the system that he, that's working and the players that, yeah. that excel in it, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the, the Real Madrid one, I'm really looking interested to see what, what oh. he does for that game because honestly uh, the amount of time I, mean, I think it was the Chelsea Champions League final I can't Dropping remember exactly what the, was that the tweak yeah yeah, yeah. We, we played uh, Gundogan for the second time that whole season in the holding role that was the Champions it League final and, and dropped yeah. the player who'd been brilliant in that role all season and I just remember, yeah. and I, I just sort of, I think that's what all sort of worries me about this season is it just feels like you know, a bit like <clears throat> I don't know, you know, when Fergie and Rooney talks about Ferguson in that Champions League final against Barcelona, where mm. they were saying, listen, we can't just go toe to toe with what we're good at against Barcelona because they will win. Well, that's what Rooney said. Yeah. 
Uh, Fergie went with it anyway. It's like the opposite for that, I find, with, with Pep. Because yeah. I'm like, yeah. if, you just, if you just do your thing, you <laughs> yes. are better at your yeah. thing than the other team are at theirs, including Real Madrid yeah. in that. Um, and it yeah. sure would have been the same for Chelsea that season as well, you'd have thought. Like, you're better at football than they are, so just do what you do and let them adapt to you. Um, but he's, I don't know whether it's a bit of insecurity or a bit of trying to be too clever or whatever it is, but it feels like this season, just keep on doing what you're doing. Like, he, he seems to be yeah. worried that other teams will suss him out, but it's all very well having an idea, but actually doing it, like, there's there's no chance, is there? Do you know what I mean? Well, you know what's interesting about that, though? It, it's not the opposition so much as the uh, opposition manager. But you get they get into his head. So Klopp has definitely been in his head. Um, Tuchel has right. definitely been in his head, as, which you know yeah. explains the Champions League final. <laughs> last year, last-minute winner uh, needed against the Hammers. We went out to in the League Cup. You know, 2-2 draw. Yeah. His West Ham is, is Moyes now in his head. Well, we might see a left-field kind of bit of weirdness tomorrow i can't yeah. see it but it's not beyond the realms of possibility i'll be honest mate i meant for more for the actual big game against real madrid I, I don't think he needs much of a tactical masterclass to get over david moore's the west ham at the Manager, honestly, well, if roy hudson can do it <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah okay fair point yeah yeah fair enough well listen steve look they're kept you a little bit longer than we normally would so I've really enjoyed having this chat this morning love having you on the podcast whenever you come on it's absolutely brilliant um, just give us a quick score prediction then Wednesday night Manchester City v West Ham at the Etihad as you chase the title and we and try it so rubber stamp our survival I'm going very similar to the Fulham game so 2-1 um, with a tense last half an hour uh, maybe a couple of chances for the Hammers um, so 2-1 City 2-1 City, fair enough. Yeah, we're just sort of, we have been putting the ball in the net a little bit more. So, every chance we will nick one. Yeah, I'll, just, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I can't see you not getting over the line either. I'm going to go 3-1 to City, I think. Yeah, but, um, we'll hear from Jonesy um, in the final thoughts. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think we could, we could go and give you a game up there. If we got a result, it'd be absolutely brilliant, but... I think Moisey knows he, he pegs these games as write-offs before, just tries to maintain our goal difference and then crack on from there. But listen, Steve, it's been brilliant having you on the show again. Thanks very much for joining us. Steve Tudor from the 93-20 Manchester City podcast there, looking ahead to that game at the Etihad on Wednesday night. But stay with us because we'll have a Manchester United opposition view ahead of the game at London Stadium on Sunday next before some final thoughts from me and Jonesy. So I'm delighted to say joining us on the We Are West Ham podcast for the first time ever is Sun Sport journalist, big Man United fan, Phil Cads. Cads, it's great to have you with us. Um, United sort of in trouble this season. It's been an up and down one. Eric Ten Hag came in, excellent start, trophy in the bag. It's hard to gauge whether it's a positive or a negative. I would say overall pretty good, but I sit around you a lot of the time. And, uh, and your view on the whole thing perhaps changes my mind week in, week out. At this stage, what are you feeling about the season? Well, you probably don't realise how bad it was last season, Will, um, <laughs> under Ralph Rangnick, our, our third manager of the season. Um, I would say overall, Eric Ten Hag's had a positive impact at United. Um, one trophy in the bag and they're heading for the top four, still with a cup final on the horizon as well. 
I think they need three more wins to get in, into the Champions League, secure that that spot, whether it's third or fourth, with six net games to go. And I think they will do it. So overall, you would have to say it's been positive. Yeah, I, it, it seems it from it just seems like you've got a bit of identity and a bit of character back, like you said with the stuff with Ranić. It just it got a bit chaotic, hasn't it? There'd been somewhat of a dip recently, isn't there? What would you put that down to? Do you, were you surprised to see that? Or I, I think it's down to tiredness, if I'm being brutally honest. It might come across as an excuse, but they've played 55 games, I think, already this season. They've pretty much played in every game possible. Yeah, yeah. And if you think of the World Cup midway through the season, they've played, whether it's Saturday, Thursday, Saturday, Wednesday, Wednesday, they've not had many week, week midweeks off. Yeah. And while they've got a good first, maybe 11, 12, the squad has been shown up in recent weeks yeah. where they've had injuries throughout, throughout the team. And that's highlighted what needs to be done now moving into the summer. They need a centre forward. They need a centre, another centre back that can basically provide competition when Varane and Martinez will both be out for this game. Uh, are missing and they just generally need standards to lift. You said you weren't sure about how good United have been this season, but I think that's probably the key principle that Ten Hag's in installed is the the raising of standards again, yeah, and definitely. and that that will drive United hopefully over time back towards the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think that's one thing. It does seem to have changed. I know the way Ten Hag dealt with the Ronaldo situation seem to garner the respect of United fans, fans across the country, pundits. Everyone thought, well, he, he sort of stamped his authority on that. It was obviously a battle of wills. United took the decision to let Ronaldo go. Do you think that situation has carried or like had a big of an impact, as I'm suggesting, as far as the rest of the players sitting up and going, oh, hang on, the club have backed him here against Ronaldo. Did, did that sort of play into the, them all of a sudden having this bit more respect for him that they perhaps didn't have for the manager's past, Solskjaer, Karanjic, Carrick maybe? Well, it's a, it's a fair factor, isn't it? And it goes back to when we always talk about United, we talk about Sir Alex Ferguson and probably the managers since haven't really commanded that respect. Yeah. You know, you can go through from, from David Moyes, he, he didn't really command the respect of the senior players when you consider some of the comments that came out after he left from people like Rio Ferdinand. Yeah. Then you move into Louis van Gaal, and, and while Louis was very different in his approach, um, the style of football probably didn't suit United. It was probably outdated. Yeah. Then you had Jose Mourinho who came in, hard, hard line approach, brought in big personalities in Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Paul Pogba, but we all know Jose has quite a, sh a short life in terms of how long that can go, although he did have success. And then it's sad to say that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, while a crowd favourite, would everyone wanted him to do, do a good job, but he, he sort of had a, a caretaker mm. mentality about him, the, the, the school supply teacher. Yeah. And that, that continued a little bit under Ranjek and the wheels fell off, but... Going back to Eric Ten Hag, I think with the decision with Ronaldo, the way he's also managed Harry Maguire through the season, he's not been afraid to make big calls. And whether that's to drop players after certain games, he keeps using the word unacceptable, but I think that's partly more down to his English than actually right, yeah. you know, getting that message across. But I think he just needs now three or four 
good signings in the summer to really sort of stamp his authority on the team again. I, I think he, he's almost got into a situation now with United that um, because they're still fighting on a couple of fronts, he can't sort of move players to one side. Yeah. He could with Ronaldo because that opportunity presented himself just before the World Cup and Ronaldo really with that interview made his own bed yeah, sure. but I think he, he sort of had to fight against those sort of you know I'm, I'm not saying bad eggs in the dressing room but there's clearly certain players there that I don't think he'll want long term we'll see a lot of players leave in the summer and hopefully again standards will be raised again yeah yeah sure you mentioned the, the Harry Maguire situation there I know fans a lot of fans like to use him as kind of a figure of fun don't they but at the old at the end of the day, it costs you 80, 85 million quid or whatever it was. It's probably fair to say, given that Virgil van Dijk around that time went for 75 million, mm. the levels since those two transfers have taken place have been vastly different. What do you make of, of that situation? Like I say, he is a figure of fun to some people. However, there's still a, a guy there who gets in the England squad, clearly not a terrible footballer. Again, it seems, from my perspective, time to move on. Ten Hag seems to be edging towards that. He's not going to be... It just seems an awkward position as club captain for him to just yeah. accept a squad role. What do you make of that situation and Ten Hag's handling? Well, well there's, there's two current things from the weekend, actually, against Aston Villa. that you, you talk about a figure of fun. Aston Villa fans actually cheered him onto the pitch <laughs> for, for the final few minutes, which sort of sums up the situation. Yeah. The second thing is, I, I believe... Maguire didn't get the captain's armband for the first time when he came onto the pitch. Now, listen, there might have only been 10 minutes left or yeah, sure. how many minutes it was, but usually in previous games, Bruno Fernandes, who, who is the, the match day captain because when Maguire doesn't play, would pass it on and that didn't happen. Now, I think it, it's, <clears throat> for a lot of United fans, it's pretty simple. Probably for the last 18 months, I don't think Maguire's performances have any, been anywhere near good enough mm. for the football club. Yeah. And it's been brought out <laughs> more evident than normal by the performances of Rafael Varane yeah. and Lissandro Martinez. Yeah, yeah. The pair of them have been exceptional for United this season. I know people talk about Casemiro being the most important player, but the difference in those two centre-halves has raised the United team considerably. Yeah. And it's also helped De Gea behind him, yeah. behind them, sorry, um, that he he doesn't have to worry. We saw it in the Seville game, playing out and then playing it to the likes of Lindelof and Maguire. You, could see, you can just visibly see the nerves and the pressure playing yeah, out with yeah. those players compared to when it's Martinez and Varane. I think there was a social media clip last week showing the difference between Martinez was played the same ball by De Gea in a game against, I think it was Betis in the Europa League, and he dealt with it and he, he, he started the attack. And, yeah. and that's why he's been a really good signing. He's a good defender, but he can also play. Maguire isn't that type of player. While he's been good for England, England generally have played three at the back. International football teams, especially the forwards, don't press as much. Yeah, He's also got the extra protection of a holding midfielder as well as the three at the back. So it's almost like England protect him a little bit, but that would never happen at Old Trafford. Mm -hmm. United rarely, only really, I think, under Solskjaer in the last couple of games, he went to a three at the back. But United have always been a four at the back team. And you almost need to be on the front foot as well. 
generally United will have possession in a lot of games, so that's why they need their defenders to be capable yeah, on the yeah, ball. Course, and yeah. and sadly, that that's just the way it is. That Maguire, he came from Leicester. He's a good player, but he's not a great player. Yeah. And you know, it'll be good. Hopefully, he lifted one trophy with Fernandez in February at the Carabao Cup final, and hopefully, he'll lift another one. But I don't think anyone at the end of his time at Old Trafford will say he's been a success. No, no, quite definitely not. It, 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 as you mentioned there, it's sort of Martinez in particular. Obviously, Varane's a class act, but Martinez in particular, who didn't have that, you know, outstanding European pedigree that Varane had when he came into the club. Even he has, has shown Maguire and Lindelof to an extent, but has shown them up, hasn't he? And it feels like a an awkward one where whereby Maguire will have to leave. You know, I could go through all day with you, and I know we have done in, in the past, um, away from the podcast, but which your players, sorry, is what I meant, which players at United you'd like to see leave? Just quickly, uh, give us a quick yes or no then before we move on, talk a bit more about the game at Lander Stadium on Sunday. Harry Maguire, David De Gea, uh, stay or go at the end of the season, in, assuming there's appropriate replacements, obviously, but what would you do with those two, just briefly? Harry Maguire goes, David De Gea stays, probably because they need to make signings in other areas, right. which are probably more important. A striker, they probably need another right-back, centre-back competition. It's probably been exposed that they need another centre-midfielder this season. And then <clears throat> there's always a question mark about United's attack on the flanks as backup because Rashford's been exceptional this season. Yeah. Anthony's grown into the season as time has gone on, but Sancho's been very hit and miss. Vicost loan signing again, not not, not, not going to that level. Not not the level. Works hard, but but not the level for United. Yeah. Only brought in because Martial can't be relied on, and he hasn't been relied on for five years. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's other areas in the pitch, I think, that United need to focus on probably before yeah. they need to replace De Gea because ultimately, if you're going to get a new goalkeeper in, you've got to spend a good 60, 70 million now because you're looking for a goalkeeper, but also a ball-playing goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that seems to be the uh, criticism levelled at De Gea often, doesn't it, about the his ball-playing abilities obviously highlighted a little bit in, in recent times as well. But look, Okay, so we'll move on to, to the game. West Ham have obviously got Manchester City on Wednesday away at the Etihad, assuming, well, you know, unlikely to get anything out of that with City chasing the title, of course. Um, Man United on Sunday come to town at the London Stadium. West Ham have a bit of a you know, pickle run of games-wise. We certainly know what you mean as far as tiredness goes with the run mm. in the Europa Conference League that we've had. Slightly different pedigree of opponent, of course. But it's that same Thursday, Sunday slog. Um, and that's potentially one of several factors which has affected West Ham's performance this year. But going into the game at, at London Stadium, you mentioned it before we hit record earlier on that you know, West Ham always up their game against Manchester United. You must be used to that. Teams up and down the country, no doubt, do. What's your, your general feeling going into that game on Sunday? With, as you mentioned, United still chasing a top four place and needing the points at this yeah. stage of the season. Well, first of all, Will, do you think West Ham might rest one or two? You've got a semi-final, I believe, next next Thursday? So yeah, next Thursday, A's it out. So would, would you rest a few and potentially? Thing is, potentially, the points are 
still vital. We, obviously, we've, we've been through this, uh, the two of us, and earlier on in the podcast with Jonesy, that West Ham are, are four points clear of the relegation zone. With those, th- And they need three teams to make up four points on mm. them. Two of those teams have got such a terrible goal difference, they need to make up five points on us. Yeah, And I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't think we'll get anything at City. I think it's a really difficult one for David Moyes because I think he has got more chance of getting something out of the United game on the weekend. However, I honestly think the Conference League could make or break whether he still has a job next season or not. I think if he Mm. wins it, which is definitely winnable, then he he keeps his job. But it's a really fine balancing act he's got to... And he's obviously, you know, West Ham's form has left us in this position. If we were 12th, where Crystal Palace are, totally safe. The focus would just be on the Conference League. But he's got to... He can't afford, I don't think, Mm. to not try or at least go for something in the game against United... Because otherwise, that just puts so much pressure on the games that we've got. Our other Premier League games, other than City, United, are Leeds and Leicester. Yeah. Who are those teams that need to overtake yeah. us. So it's a really fine balancing act. Whether he'll rest too many, I don't know. But even when fans have been crying out for him to rest players, he hasn't. And there's a sense, again, as with last season and the run to Europa League semi-final where they burnt out at the end of the season, that there's a bit of same again. Yeah, I actually, even though I posed the question, I don't think, he will rest players. I think Moyes, if, if he's going to rest players, he might do it at Man City before, yeah, before United. Definitely. And the, be fact sensible, it, yeah. and the fact it's Sunday to Thursday, you know, it is a long enough gap anyway. Yeah. Um, West Ham away for Manchester United is always a bit of a, a nervy one in the respect of, I can still remember 1992, Kenny yeah. Brown. Yeah, Ludo McCloskey. Ludo McCloskey yeah. in 95. I mean, the last time I think I went to the London Stadium was 2019 and United were absolutely abysmal that day. I think uh, Cresswell scored a free kick that right, day. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and even though United have won the last two at the London Stadium, I won't bring up Jesse Lingard, no, no, but no, he no. scored the winner, obviously, in the last game. Or the, I think it was Dean Henderson's kick that yeah. went out for a throw. Did it go out? Yes. <laughs> I think that that was during the COVID days, wasn't yeah, it, where there was it, only yeah. 500 fans allowed yeah, in the ground. It, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so United have always had a tough game. I think that's my, my point, really. United have always had a tough game, regardless of the positions of the two teams in the league. I, I just think that United probably will take a point now. Really? Yeah, I do. I just think it's a bit like the Tottenham game they had last week, where even before the Tottenham game, I would have said away games now for United, take a point, and they're so good at Old Trafford at yeah. the moment, United, that they will get enough points to get into the top four. So, yeah, I think for United this weekend, it'll be take a draw and get out of there. Yeah, fair enough. I think yeah, I think West Ham are there for the taking, frankly. I think. Well, so are Tottenham. Well, yeah, that <laughs> and, is and true. while we did it for 45 minutes, we can't seem to string together a 90-minute performance. Yeah, It was encouraging against Villa at the weekend. Villa are obviously really confident at the moment. And while it wasn't the most prettiest of matches um, and United didn't create too many clear-cut chances because, sadly, the attack this season, while I say keep saying Rashford's been excellent, yeah. the other parts of the attack just have not um, come together that it becomes a fluid attack, like a Man City, like a Liverpool of the past, even Arsenal this season. And that's why United need a central striker and they probably need one other forward to complement it, 
just to make it a bit more slicker and start putting teams away. Because at the moment, if you look at, I think they've played 20, no, 32 games, is it now? We've got a plus 10 goal difference, yeah, yeah. which is pretty poor for, for a team who are in the top four. Yeah, of course, of course. So looking ahead to that, to that game Sunday, you mentioned sort of your general feeling around the game and it being a sticky one. What do you expect style-wise, obviously from Ten Hag primarily, but how do you expect the game to look from a sort of style perspective? I would imagine the way I've seen David Moyes' side set up, and particularly against the bigger teams, he seems to be a bit more cautious, doesn't he, in those games? And that leads to maybe dropping off yeah. and allowing United possession. Whereas actually, I think if if you if, if West Ham went for United and tried to press from the front, they might get a bit more joy. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I think if they sit off, Shaw's playing with Lindelof at, at centre half at the moment, and Shaw, to be fair to him, has been brilliant. He's he's almost developed into the Martinez role yeah, and, yeah. and the other player I would link him to is Daly Blind, who, you know, traditionally maybe a full back who then became versatile in different positions, but just good quality on the ball, you know, can see a pass, can play it quickly through the lines in midfield. And I just sort of think that maybe West Ham just needs to be brave. Right. Really, really attack United. I mean, I think I think West Ham Bowen's been pretty good yeah, I think, in, in recent like, yeah, in yeah. recent weeks um antonio seems to be showing a bit more from yeah. from what but i don't watch west ham every week so no you might course. disagree but a bit more from, than... from the highlights it seems that he's a bit being a bit more sharper and a bit more involved than maybe a few months ago where <laughs> yeah. it probably looked like he, he couldn't score there was only, like, he was only going one direction from there and he, you even, are right even yeah. suchek you know he, from speaking to yourself and other West Ham fans, he was he was excellent when he first arrived at West Ham, but he's been pretty pretty yeah. laboured, hasn't he, in in um, recent time? Yeah. Um, so it seems as if West Ham. I, I know you lost to Crystal Palace, but it seems as if West Ham have improved over Definitely. recent times. There has been improvement, um, and Declan Rice is the obvious one because he he more than anyone seems to want to impress for the yeah, like, yeah. next few weeks because it seems pretty obvious that he'll probably be moving on at the yeah, end of the season. Absolutely. So, United, you're expecting... Would you expect... Obviously, it seems funny that you won't, West Ham won't be dictating how the game goes, I assume. I suppose they will by sitting back. But do you expect United to deal with that quite comfortably if Moyes goes for his more you know, cautious defensive approach? Yeah, I, th I think they're, they're so used to having possession in most games that it will effectively come down to, if, if that's the way West Ham set up and s sit back, that can United take those chances? Mm. They've been pretty wasteful, in honest, all season. Um, even while, while I say they didn't have clear-cut chances against Villa, they still had opportunities that if, if better, better final pass or better finishing, really, yeah. whether it's Rashford, Sabitzer, Fernandez, <clears throat> Casemiro was unlucky hitting the bar, but that you can just sort of tell that they're such a hot and cold team that you just want them to be a bit more ruthless in front of goal. Yeah, yeah. And if United can be ruthless and maybe score early, then maybe get the key second one, you could see, obviously, it being a much easier 
night because obviously a night atmosphere at London Stadium should be pretty good. Yeah, of course, of course. So, uh, Cads, just before we let you go, a couple more questions. One's very brief. Give us a score prediction then, Sunday night. London Stadium, West Ham v Man United in the Premier League. 1-1. 1-1. I think you spoke to every single West Ham fan listening to this podcast and every one of them would take that, I think, at this stage of the season, the way we've been playing. Um, and that point would be huge for, for both sides, really. One thing I do just want to get on, it's a little bit left field, and I only mention it because you mentioned Declan Rice there. Whenever anyone has been saying to me in recent times, be they fellow West Ham fans or football fans of other clubs, where's Declan Rice going to go? I think you know I'm of the same opinion as you, where it seems inevitable that Declan Rice is going this summer. My sort of low-key understanding that that's the some very informal conversations that have been had at the club over the last couple of seasons. He hasn't signed mm. a new deal. Mm. He's kind of all been leaning towards this summer being the one where he makes his big move. Whenever anyone says, where's he going to go? I've continually been saying repeatedly, Man United would be daft not to lift heaven and earth to mm. bring Declan Rice in, especially because I think the players he was going... Obviously, Casemiro has been outstanding for you, but he's mm. not a long-term mm. option. Um, Scott McTominay and Fred. Other than that, I don't really know... Declan Rice is better than those two players. Mm. I don't really know where you know to go Fred. for a cent. Easily better than Fred. I'm only joking. <laughs> but, yeah, what, what, what do you make of all that? I'm still not convinced Declan Rice is a Manchester United midfielder. Maybe... This might be harsh, but for the money that you would have to sign him for, you are almost looking for players of the past, and I would go along the lines of Roy Keane. So is Declan Rice a box-to-box midfielder who can do everything like Roy Keane? He wants to be. He wants to be, but yeah. can he do it on a weekly basis? Not convinced at this stage. Yeah. But... He's, he's good and I like him, and I, I do agree with you. He's better than Scott McTominay, he's better than Fred. But the influence of Casemiro this season probably then raises doubts over whether could Declan Rice come in this summer and play alongside Casemiro, or would he just be, you know, another player? You, you would have to spend how much on Declan Rice? 100 million? Probably, yeah. So you, you almost don't want. If you're going to spend a lot of your budget on a hundred million pound player, mm. he has to play every game. Now, do I see Declan Rice mm. as an eight? I'm not convinced that he is no, an eight. No. So the only position he would play at United would be where Casemiro plays, yeah. and I don't think he's anywhere near the level of Casemiro just yet. So, so in- what? Where I see him going, I actually do see him possibly going to Arsenal. Right because they're crying out for more strength in midfield. That's why they brought Jorginho in. Mm. And I think that, you know, would would he would he stay in London? Everyone says Man City, but Rodri's there. I thought originally Chelsea, but because of Mason mm. Mount and that connection. But and I know obviously he was there at the very start of his career as well. But I just sort of sense that maybe he's heading more towards Arsenal than Manchester United. And the other point I would make is, if you offered me the choice of spending £100 million on Declan Rice or Jude Bellingham, 
Jude Bellingham every day. Yeah, but I genuinely think Bellingham will go for more than Declan Rice this summer. But he would he would complement the midfield United have got at the moment. I could see a Casemiro, a Bellingham, a Fernandez. I I couldn't see for a hundred million pounds yeah. Casemiro, Rice, Fernandez, yeah. and that midfield improving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because United have done a stopgap option this this season of Ericsson, who's been excellent. Yeah. But in a lot of games, Ericsson is is good against the teams. And he, he might well, this might sound harsh, but West Ham in the position they are on the table, he'll thrive in a yeah, game yeah, such sure. as West Ham. But then when we play any of the sort of maybe top six sides or teams at the last stages of Europe, it's been very noticeable that Ericsson's gone missing in yeah. those games. He doesn't have the same command. And he also tires after about 60 minutes in a lot of these games. So it's important that while they've they've done a stopgap measure on the midfield, yeah. it's a real area this summer that they need to really raise the bar. Yeah, I mean, I'm intrigued in that because it, do you think I understand what you say about when you're paying that much money, you want immediate impact on your team? What is it about Casemiro? Obviously, he's been great, mm. but I, I think the goal I've, I've got him in front of me, but I've checked not too long ago. Yeah, the goals and assists numbers between the two. Mm are not vastly different. If if anything, Rice may even have the edge. I'm not certain. I haven't checked. But so what what is it exactly when you talk about this all round team impact, what is it exactly that you get from Casemiro? Because ultimately I see two slightly like different versions of the same thing and predominantly defensive midfielder yeah. who can do a bit of attacking. Yeah. Who has a big impact on the team. I I'll, I'll be brutally honest here. When Casemiro signed last summer, I had fears that we were signing another Bastian Schweinsteiger, <laughs> right, yeah. someone who was coming towards the end of his career yeah. and the question marks just over how committed he would be to the football club. And you always ask the question, why are one of the European giants selling yeah. one of their players? And United didn't certainly didn't get the best out of Schweinsteiger, whether yeah. that was the manager, Louis van Gaal at the time, or whether it was the, the team or however the setup was. But I just think Casemiro, and, and there's a couple, a couple of things that, that have really stood out. It's not just he can play the position as a specialist, as a holder. He's been much better on the ball than I would have ever given him credit right, for yeah. at Real Madrid. He was maybe a bit unnoticed at Real Madrid because their midfield, either side of him in Cruz uh, and Modric, was so good that... Actually, this this guy, you, you watch United, actually, and a lot of their attacks at the moment start with Casemiro. The quick pass, whether it's it's a diagonal from right to left yeah. or just, just a forward-thinking pass, which will set Rashford or Fernandez free. It, it's, it's the way he passes, which is so slick and precise, and it oozes quality. Yeah. You'll see other 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 players try that. Well, a lot of them won't try the pass yeah. for one or two. Their accuracy would be probably below fifty yeah, percent. Sure. I would say that this guy is eighty percent of the time delivering. And then, secondly, I think it is it is it does go back to aura, leadership. Mm. You know, um, takes responsibility not just for his job but for others, and you can see him cajoling people. If, if there's an issue at right back, he's over there, he sorts it, no no messing about. <clears throat> but even there was a great clip at the weekend, and he's done twice now this season. Post-final whistle, and on both occasions, they've won the game. He 
He's gone up to Bruno Fernandes, and whether it's a Bruno Fernandes thing, that might be another matter. But he's almost questioned him, called him out after the final whistle. Why haven't you done something correctly in the game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is going back to Roy Keane levels yeah, yeah, yeah. of calling people out, raising standards, basically not taking any bullshit yeah, 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 from the yeah. team. Yeah, you know, and and that is where why I think I've been impressed with him this season and. I know Declan Rice is a he's captain, West Ham, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's a, and he's a leader, and you can see that he is growing into that role. But Casemiro is ready, yeah, yeah, ready yeah. made. You know, yeah. he he. Th there's no question marks about him, and that's why I I would just think that because United will probably have to spend, as I say, Bellingham. You're probably looking at potentially Harry Kane. Can they really go out and spend that sort of money on Declan Rice? Mm -hmm. I, I just don't think it, it it would be my my option. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Well, look, Cad's been absolutely brilliant having you with us on the show for the first time. Thanks for joining us. Looking ahead to that game Sunday afternoon or evening, seven o'clock kickoff, I believe, isn't it? A bit of an I think, it's, one. I think it's for the coronation, isn't it? Oh, of they, they moved um, a lot of the kickoffs maybe further back because. Policing. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Well, um, yeah, Sunday night, Lander Stadium, West Ham v Man United, points on the table, important for both sides. But that's Phil Cadden there, Sun Sport journalist, big Man United fan, joining us to look ahead to that game and stay with us because we'll have some final thoughts from me and Jonesy next. There you have it then, Jonesy. Two opposition views. Looking ahead to those games this week. Looks like it might be four defeats from four. Let's call it as it is. I think Manchester United, are, you know, even maybe say we get a point there, which would be half decent, but we were never going to get loads out of these, this run of four games, were we? Let's be quite honest. Uh, just give us some final thoughts then, Jonesy. Looking back, looking ahead, and include, of course, a couple of score predictions um, ahead of this week. Uh, well, I want to kind of. It was a good April, despite the, the the final two games. It was a good April for us. We seem to turn it around. Um, it gets a little bit more real now in in May with the semi final, and obviously we still need to secure survival. So I'm just really keen just to get these next two games against City and United out of the way, and then we can really focus on on what really matters. Uh, if we get anything from those two games, then happy days the bonus. Um, but. It, Losing those two games isn't going to decide our Premier League fate. Like, to be fair, we still got to play Leicester and Leeds. They're the two games I'm looking at. Going right, you know, if we if we avoid defeating those two, we're happy. Uh, and then obviously, semi-final still to play. Flights flights to Prague are booked. Um, going to go anyway, regardless if we get there or not. So I'm excited. I'm excited for that. Are you booked um, in so, now? Uh, booked, all booked up. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, and we're just gonna we're gonna go regardless. Yeah. Why not? Week in Prague. Love it. So yeah, looking forward to this. I one. might meet you out there. To be fair, if you're going anyway. Yeah, do it. I might just get mine booked in. Yeah, do nice. it. When are you flying um, back on the Sunday? Friday, Tuesday to Friday. All right. All right. Lovely. So um, yeah, we'll be good. We'll be good. So yeah. by all means, come and join us, mate. Yeah, um, huge. It's going to be a bender either way. Um. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, looking forward to May, looking forward to, to the semi-final, even though I can't make it. And um, in terms of score predictions, um, we've tended to keep the score down against City, the Etihad over the last couple mm, of years. Yeah. 
it's been like two ones and one nils and so I'm gonna say I think with Erling Haaland just like he's banging goals in for fun. Um I'm gonna say three one City. I think we'll get a goal though, because they, they they haven't kept a clean sheet in a while. Uh, no. Man United, I'm gonna remain optimistic when I say a one all draw. Yeah, okay. I like your style there. Yeah, well, I've gone, you've matched my uh, prediction for Manchester City. I said 3-1 to City as well. We've actually haven't had trouble putting the ball in the net, have we? Steve, of course, went for a bit more of a tight one. He agreed with us. The sentiment's not overly excited about playing West Ham. The Etihad, he thinks 2-1 to City. Um, So, yeah, it feels like, you know, the, the sense being that they'll continue their charge to the title with a win on Wednesday. I like your thinking with United. You just never know what team you're going to get. I'm just still a bit scarred from my trip up to Old Trafford in the FA Cup earlier this season, where I just feel like, I don't know, I just can't really see us getting anything over the line. I like your thinking with one all. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I've just got a horrible feeling they'll do us proper ugly. Probably like a guy they didn't deserve from a corner or maybe a dodgy decision. I think they'll beat us 1-0. But yeah, after that, like you say, you'd like to think we could have got a point at Palace because that would have kept up that feeling of sort of comfort. But I think we're going to be okay. I think the rest of the season will come. I think we'll finish on 37 or 38 points is what I think we'll get in the Premier League. And then, yes, yeah, still all about the Conference League for me. It's exciting times. Um, disappointed you won't be there, Jonesy, for the home leg. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make it out to Holland for the semi yet. But the yeah, the final sort of you've got that in my sights. 100% for sure. But listen, Jonesy, it's been a, a great podcast this week. Bit of a weird week for West Ham, but exciting for the Weird West Ham podcast. Confirmation of my trip out to Australia for the pre-season games in the summer. Thanks very much again for Miriam, to Miriam Errington, sorry, Miriam Errington, conveyancing in Adelaide um, for her support in getting the We Are West Ham podcast down under in the summer. Do get in touch, like I've asked, if you are in Oz already, if you're just going to tell me if you're going to be about, if you'd be interested in coming along to a We Are West Ham podcast event, uh, the scale of which is yet TBC. But if you want to get in touch with some ideas, let me know where the best places to go. Perth and Adelaide is, is where I'm going to be. I'm going to be in Perth, obviously, for the West Ham games. I'll be heading over to Adelaide about a week or so. Later, looking to put something on as well there. So wherever you're going to be, let us know. Get in touch. We are westhampod at gmail.com. We're at we are underscore West Ham on Twitter. I'm William Pugh underscore James is at by James Jones. You can get us at we are West Ham Pod on Instagram as well. You'll find our personal accounts over there if you want to get in touch. Uh, and don't forget, as a few people have done this week, uh, David OG and Tom, you can buy us a pint if you so wish, or you can buy us as many pints as you like. Uh, buymeacoffee.com slash we are West Ham. Uh, yeah, need as many shekels as we can, actually, for the trip down under. So if you fancy chipping in, you can do that over there. The money goes directly to Jonesy and I. And when we say it will go on making uh, the podcast better for you guys, um, lots of that money. Uh, we'll be going on uh, the trip down under. So there'll be some content from down there. So if you fancy chipping in, you can buy me coffee.com slash we are West Ham. Thanks to those of you who've done so and got in touch over the last few weeks. Love hearing from you. Dodgy week for West Ham. Two defeats from two and not the most appealing games coming up with Manchester City and Manchester United. But we could try and keep a little bit 
level-headed for this week. Then we've got a huge rest of the month coming up in May. Two legs of a European semi-final, home and away against AZ Alkmaar. We'll talk about that in a bit more detail next week. And, of course, the Premier League running to see if we can stay up like me and Jonesy. And I think everyone else deep down thinks that we will before a reset in the summer. Exciting times being a West Ham fan, maybe for the wrong reasons, but certainly a couple for the right reasons. The European semi-final, when have we been able to say that too often in the past? Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for your support, as always. Thanks for getting in touch. Stay with us, up the hammers, and we'll see you next week. Hi, this is Tony Cotty, and you're listening to the We Are West Ham podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.